Hello and welcome to Superwoo Radio. Uh, very excited about today's episode. Um, there's this uh, wonderful lady. I'd like to introduce you to her. Her name is Anna. Anna, welcome to Superwoo Radio. Thank you so much, George. Uh, it's a, little, uh, little, it's little... a pleasure. It's more than a pleasure. Yeah, no, it's a deep, definitely a very deep, uh, you know, um, friendship and um, and working relationship. I, I feel as well that we have very ancient working relationship. Looks like it. Uh, we've Looks done like before it. in other worlds and stuff like that, haven't we? For sure. So, quick intro. Um, you're you are defined as an anthropologist, um, but you are also defined as a peasant. Indeed. That's Indeed. my self de no, that's my self definition. Yeah, and, and you mean that with great love uh, for simple life, I would say. Well, for the real relationship with nature. You know, the etymology of the world is precisely people who are connected to the land. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that's what I am. You've also got linguist. You're first. Yes. Well, I mean, you've got your lineage connection with a certain part of the world, which gives you another um, another sort of linguistic arm mm. in addition to English. And I've got many arms. Mm. Um, some of them have been kind of, well, they've gone dormant because I, you know, if you don't practice language, if I don't practice language, it just goes dormant or it just leaves me. Yeah. But um, I've got, you know, a bunch of languages and this means an ability to go and look for words and look for etymologies. I've got that sort of a instinctive curiosity to go and, yeah, that word doesn't smell right the way it is. I'm going to go and check. So it's, you know, I'm not a linguist in an academic sense, but I'm a, uh, yeah, I'm firm. A linguist in a natural sense. In a natural sense, but also, you know, there's the esoteric sense. There's the, you know, the power of the power of language that has been disempowered in us. Mm. And uh, looking for the deep, deep, deep ancient connections between language, what it has become now and what it may have been originally in terms of having sounds directly associated with the thing and with how humans related to the thing. Like, it's very interesting that you've got languages that only have monosyllables. Mm -hmm. You've got languages that are made up of clicks, mm -hmm. you know, like the Bushmen in the Kalahari. It's a click language. They don't have syllables like we do. But in the part of the world where I am, it's these are monosyllabic languages. So you've got these basic units which are very close to a certain type of real reality. I find that so fascinating. Yeah. As opposed to our languages that have become so very abstract and so very, well, you know, they're further removed from us. They make it easier for, for, for us to, to, to play around with ideas and to invent systems and things like that. Um, at the same time, you know, they cost us a lot in terms of connection to the real deep wisdom that we have that cannot be conveyed with the language that we now use. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I'm really so, so, so acutely aware of that issue. Uh, so as a linguist, basically, George, I do more talking with my cats in cat, 
in cat language so than special. any other language. I'm pretty good, you know. Yeah. Um, and you're so contemplative. Yes, and that's a word that I. Well, it's it's a it's a it's a lesser. It's a lesser problematic word, I think, than meditation, because mm. meditation is a it's become a huge consumer product. It's in the market of spiritualities. Mm. Um, it's become a catch all term for natural mysticism, mm -hmm. the natural ability of humans to just fall into alpha theta state mm. and to be in communion with whatever the tree next to you, the universe, your soul, I mean, whatever it is that you need to be contemplating or conversing with or whatever it is, I don't have a word for it. Mm. So contemplative seems to be less painful a word than meditative. Yeah, I tend, uh, I tend to tell people I don't meditate like your traditional meditations, they, they tend to um, you know, have more of a rigid structure and achieve that f specific frequency and that state. And, and I'm not into those processes. I like to be and contemplate. So I'm a con contemplative sort of individual as well. So totally um, with you on that. Now, you've written a book and, I, and, and look, you know, I'm really excited about our, our chat today because we've had some beautiful exchanges already and I'm, you know, in, in webinars and what have you, and I'm really looking forward to it. And you've written a book called Grivda. Grivda, uh, K-R-I-V-D-A, Grivda, um, the God tricks against the matrix. Now that is a very, very interesting title and you know, it feels like it's juicy, it's fat, it's substantial and it's just like, whoa, we can go and really, really, really deep dive into this in a big way. and. You know, um, what can you share with us as, you know, scratching the surface before we go straight into the big end? Well, we can just start from the title. <laughs> Let's go. Um, because that's a very interesting title. Can you give us the etymology of the word Grivda? Well, Grivda is, it's this extraordinary, powerful Russian word that is, it's hardly ever used now. Some mm. people still know it. Um, the conventional linear translation that people give of it now is the lie, because krivda is deemed to be the opposite of pravda, which we all know means the truth, and was also the main uh, press organ of the Russian Communist Party. And it was not necessarily full of truth. Hmm. So it was probably pretty much full of krivda. But what is interesting about krivda is that it is not directly the antagonist of Pravda in terms of lie, it is Kriv means crooked. So it is, in fact, reality made crooked. And if one understands the concept in that sense, which is what I received this Russian friend of mine, when I started telling him about the book that I was writing, he said, do you know this old Russian word Krivda? And I didn't know the word, but I had shivers going down my back because I already, you know, part of me already knew. And so I said, crooked truth? And he mm -hmm. said, yes, 
Mm. So, and this is the main modus operandi of the gods. It's they take the truth and they make it crooked. They, it's not just outright lies, because that would be much too easy for us to decipher. We careful. would have deciphered those yes. millennia ago. Careful twists. They slanted this way and then they slanted that way. And it's clever. It's like layer up and layer of one, you know, slight slant on top of another. And <coughs> excuse me, they are, it's like they phase it out just away from truth, the whole truth, you know? It, yeah, they shift it. They, they, it shifts. And I mean, the shifts can be pretty big, you know, depending on which God, which priesthood is going to do what. Mm. And so once I had that word, there was just no way I was going to use any other word mm. for the title. It Because it had given me the power, the juice to, write, to go through writing that the book, which is not an easy journey. No. And then, you know, after that, I battled for, you know, months over, oh, you know, the journey of the natural human from the religious gods to the gods of technology. Yeah, yeah. And then one day it hit me. Yeah, the god tricks against the matrix. And, you know, the point being here, you know, people think at first sight, oh, it's the good god dealing with the bad matrix. That's what everybody, because everybody is so convinced that the matrix means what people mm -hmm. have inherited from the movie. Yeah. Whereas so the Matrix, that, isn't it? the Matrix, etymologically, and even, I mean, in, in Spanish, in Spanish today, La Matriz is the womb of a woman. Mm. I mean, you can't have it more in your face than that. Mm. So, you know, this is something that I take pains to keep explaining. All these people who are in love with Mother Earth and who are being regenerative and, you know, doing all the good things. And, and they're, you know, still going on about the Matrix. Mm. And they don't realize that they are imputing, they are attributing, mm. by using that word, they are attributing to the womb, which is the feminine, which is Mother Earth, which is all these, you know, essential feminine things beings they are attributing to the natural feminine the fakeness imposed by the system that they have so cunningly called the matrix mm. this was a stroke of genius from mm. on their part mm. so i have to give them that yeah but to be able to twist the profound reality of of the essence of life mm. of how new beings are born at least in the realms of mammals but how new beings are born in the womb of mother earth and that's a that's and, a major revelation we, what you're sharing with us okay so it's but you know we have been so conditioned especially if we, we're you know we're in the awakened alternative communities you know we've got this cold code language and say oh yes that's because of the matrix mm -hmm. and we don't realize that we are mm -hmm. poisoning her while giving the food of our sincerity to them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, the cunning behind it, the the word spell, it's gigantic, and it is so. It is. Uh, it's it's just crazy. Um, 
it's crazy, especially as regards people who want to be on the side of the feminine, you know, restoring, etc., and 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 returning her rights to Mother Earth and all these things. So the first thing is get your get your language. The language that you carry is so very very potent, and people don't realize that because yeah. language has become too abstract for us. Yeah, yeah, it has. It really has. And um, <clears throat> when we do play with these uh, vibrational patterns called words, you know, and also known as logos, uh, you know, it really using inappropriate languaging really interferes with our own creative process, our creational process, you know, of the unfoldment of life and reality. Um, and so what you've written here, The God Tricks Against the Matrix, is, is, is very, you know, you and I, we've established that we see things in a very similar way. Um, can you elaborate uh, on The God Tricks uh, a little bit more? Um, because we... Um, you know, we're sharing a perspective that uh, not that many people in this world have. That's a reality. Um, and, but, and it's also a perspective which is, seems to be beyond the majority of the um, narratives that we find on the planet. Um, even though we are included in those narratives, but we also beyond those narratives, which is really interesting. Uh, so you're coming from a very unique place. Uh, in human awareness and human consciousness, so just want to acknowledge that, and uh, and I would love to hear more about your take on the God tricks. Well, the God tricks and its tricks, you know, parallel to matrix, just so that people understand that it's that it's not, you know, at face value. Um, so, well, Kookaburra a large. <laughs> Well, they're probably hearing interesting oh, vibrations out there. What we're doing, that's for sure. Yeah. Well, I, you know, there are many, many parts of my life that have converged into writing this book. But I must acknowledge, with great pleasure, that you um, gave the spark that somehow started it all coalescing mm. with your course on exiting the uh the god matrix the god the god what i call the god uh, matrix the god tricks well yeah i can't call it i can't call it that anymore no no, yeah. no, no i'm beginning no, to get into that space where i can't call it that much anymore and yeah. this is you know uh, there's another thing just to finish the previous thought george language yeah. language that has an impact on the world is with humans mm. okay other species they have their language amongst themselves and you know what they do uh with their sounds and their vibrations is basically all connected with keeping the ecosystem going mm. in a balanced way mm. now we come in with our language that is way more powerful which means we have to use language responsibly so we really need to start really really looking into how we use language mm -hmm. and i must say you know it's much more difficult for people who are monolingual because they've been raised in one on only one system of reference mm -hmm. so uh, i think you know kids should be brought up with two or three languages you know early I, on in I life i agree i reckon there should be three languages should be um standard curriculum in schools 
Yeah, it works very well, you know, in the Nordic countries and Holland, places like yeah, that. Most where European it's, countries, you know, for obvious reasons, yeah. But when you come well, to our, all, our countries yeah. like, you know, Australia, uh, New Zealand's different because of the, um, you know, the strong uh, combination of, of the uh, the original people there, the, the Maori and uh, um, and the Pakia, the white people. Um, so it's really interesting what goes on there. But you look at, you know, United States, there's a little bit of, fair bit of bilingual, at least with the Hispanic community being being in that space. Mm. Yeah, but not, not so much. I mean, you know, a lot of the people who speak publicly in the Anglo, in the Anglo world, um, you know, they really don't have enough of that. I agree. Of that, yeah. what you know, that wherewithal to be able to mm. to ask questions. Mm. So anyway, that's that. That was to close that parenthesis. Mm. Um, so you know, when I discovered, it, it was so absolutely uh, crystal clear. This business of the gods of religions in ancient times and you know especially as far as we're concerned the christian religion and how you transition that into the realm of what you call the technical intelligence god technological intelligence god mm. made total sense and then you know i piped up in one of the webinars and i said but uh, george don't you think there is an intermediate god who is the god of money and then you said you'd better write a book about that <laughs> And then the next day I started writing the book because it had become to so totally self-evident. The other thing that I bring to this table and that, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a huge uh, privilege, I suppose I should say, that I was exposed and immersed and initiated in this very fringe esoteric tradition of grassroots India, mm. which is at the extreme fringe of Tantrism, okay? Tantrism itself is the fringe of official Hindu religions. My guys are also at the fringe of Sufism, which itself is the fringe of mm. Islam. Islam but actually, right. they're not the fringe. They are the heart. They are you know, the, Sufism, the original. It's the esoteric. This is what we mean when we're using the word esoteric as opposed mm -hmm. to exoteric. Mm -hmm. The official languages are for the masses. They are the brainwashing. They are the exoteric. Exo, outside. outside okay. Yeah. And then they have their own core, which is esoteric. Mm -hmm. Now, we have to make a distinction between two types of esoteric. There is the inner core, which is the authentic spirit of the connection of humans with the greater self, the greater universe, etc. Would you call that esoteric? Iso? Esoteric. Like iso as in isothermic? I-S-O? Mm -hmm. I have to think about that one. Yeah, that's okay. Iso. Iso basically means same. So we'd have to, you know, we'll have to fight about that <laughs> sometime later. <laughs> For the time being, I'm satisfied precisely so that people can understand that there is, there are these two branches of the mm. esoteric within all the religions. There is the poisoned one mm -hmm. used, by the, used by the priesthoods to do their krivda, 
to serve the god tricks to serve their gods and their own power and to disempower all of us so there's the unnatural esoteric which perhaps we can call occult it just I, I means hidden i heartily agree with what you just said 100 that is yeah to me that's an absolute fact of reality what you just said but there is a distinction between that and the natural esoteric yeah. of people of the natural mysticism of humans yeah if we're not completely you know messed with mm. we have a natural tendency to fall into that contemplative state mm. and to you know kids they have it naturally mm. I suppose now they can't because they're addicted to their devices. Yeah, and as soon and as then, they're born, they're, they're, they're jabbed with needles. You know, they're, they're, you know, they're attacked, basically, by a, a system that is terrified of their purity and their sublime nature and their connection to the natural way of love and the natural way of life. Well, it's actually capturing. It's capturing by doing that, by inflicting mm. that pain on them. Mm. They are capturing the power of, of that new life. Mm. with its connection with the with with the greater wisdom mm. they're capturing something of that i mean this is where i mean it really is really is very 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 demonic oh, um, and yeah and what is happening you know what's been happening since the advent of modern medicine mm -hmm. um especially on children uh is you know, this is child sacrifice of the highest order, and it's never been at such a level of magnitude. And it's coming to its, uh, it's coming to its um, climax now. Mm. Terrifying. So anyway, sure is. If you know, back to the journey of the book. Well, since I decided to write it, well, I started writing it, and then I continued writing it, and so mm. you know, I. I document because I've got this scholarly training, which which serves very well to be able to think. You know, I'm seeing a lot of people in the Wu community. They whoops, you know, they go and yeah, fly off on the cloud. Structure, you got a lot more structure in your thought processes, which is fantastic because it brings a really good balance. Well, I'm glad to be, you know, I have one foot in the woo and one foot mm -hmm. in in critical thinking. Mm -hmm. And, and you know, all sorts of weird stuff comes mm -hmm. to me from the woo. Mm -hmm. And then the critical thinker says, mm -mm -mm -mm, you check that out. Mm -hmm. And I'm not going to be able to check it out in books. Because, you know, and, until I have access to the secret library of the Vatican, you know, none of this can be checked. Mm -hmm. But there are other methods of checking. Mm -hmm. So... So there we are. Anyway, so I basically, I fill out, you know, the journey that you take your students on from the gods of religion mm. to the god of technological intelligence. Mm. And actually the god of money was mm. born with the gods of religion. Mm -hmm. That's the true. Whole, the initial bankster operations. Mm -hmm. Okay, the creation of false money, it mm -hmm. started in the shadow of the temples in the Mesopotamian cultures, civilizations as they're mm -hmm. called, right? And that's where debt was invented. Mm. And it's it's in the it's in the in the in the space of debt that later on the Christian church would have no trouble inserting the concept of original sin. Oh, absolutely. 
Yeah, that's that's the source of debt. They go together. They They're go the same together because the moment you're born, you're apparently you're a sinner. You're born of original sin, which means the moment you're born, you're in debt. Yeah. You're indebted to your God. Yeah, and you're going to have to have this guy nailed to the cross every, you know, every day, basically. Every day there's a mass service conducted somewhere. And this guy is forever going to have to redeem you because you are forever non-redeemable, but you have to keep, you know, getting yourself re- I mean, Say a thousand God. Hail Marys might get you into heaven. You know, would you get it, your credit rating up high enough? <laughs> but I mean, the, you know, the, the, the people who invented this, you, you have to give it to them. Fucking mad! What? It just blows me away how people just don't see it, you know. Just, yeah. But we can't see it if you're born into it, yeah. and it's your yeah, only, it you know, and it's the only thing that's going to give you salvation and you know value for your life, and it's going to, you know, you're going to be able to be with your soul. And you, mm. I mean, how how else if you've been born into that? Yeah. And you've had no other. If you haven't had a witch grandmother out in the forest teaching you different things because of course she and all her ancestors were burnt at the stake Mm. if you don't have a counterpoint how on earth are you going to discover until perhaps later in life you get one major crisis that nearly Mm. kills you Mm. and then you really have to reevaluate everything or unless you know people have the kind of extraordinary adventures that you've had that uh, that are going to to show a different reality, but when the you know Christian missionaries went to different parts of the world with their weird creed, you know the indigenous people had a very healthy reaction. You know what this is bullshit. You know mm. they were, and then okay, they were coaxed, coerced, forced into conversion, or they were, you know, their whole. Uh, farming ecosystems or whatever were taken over, disturbed, so that they no longer had enough to be self-sufficient. Consequently, okay, the church is going to feed you, provided you convert. So, I mean, you know, they've used all they used all sorts of all sorts of ploys, mm. and they did a very good job of it. But um, in, so in, anyway, in, when we go back to Babylon and this whole um, you know thing about the, uh, the the construct of financial debt. You know, being created, it seems to be a toxic mimic of, you know, um, money now representing the exchange of energy between people, like a measure of deeds between people. And um, I think it's even worse than that. Money has become value. Yeah, it 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 It's like um, I find that when I live. Well, this is how I normally live. I'm in this flow state. I'm in this Zen state, and you know, I'm interacting with people. And there's there's this beautiful natural exchange that occurs, you know. And you, you let's say you do something good for somebody or something nice. You make a good contribution to their lives. You just let it go because that's just all part of the currency that flows, right? The current that we can see. It's the energy that flows between us all and flows with nature and. You know that's 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 the current that we can see, and now the what money's done it's 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 a a system and it manufactured an artificially created system 
even though there's a reality to it, it's just the, the way, how it came about, that then is the mimic of this natural flow of energy between people, which, uh, you know, it's can either come back to you immediately or come back to you down the track in life, you know. You don't worry about that side of the equation because it's like paying it forward. It's just like you're in that flow state, you know, and, and you're flying with creation. And you, and, and you never experience lack or scarcity or anything. It's just incredible how there's always something that, that appears when you need it. So, um, or even want it, you know. Um, so this mimicked version was what has now become way more corrupted than it's an, even its original intention. Oh, probably, sure. Because, I mean, all these systems get refined over time. What Are we call... What we call religion. Yeah, come again. Yeah. Are you aware of um, who the entities or the gods were that were responsible for the creation of this god of money? Well, it would have started with the, uh, you know, the people who were, the the people around the temples Mm. who were in charge of the, of the, of the mining operations mm. and so the extraction of gold mm. the extraction yeah they in mesopotamia and egypt it was mainly the extraction of gold that they were after and so there was already this international connection mm. between mesopotamia egypt other parts of the world yeah. and um and they, they needed to be in the shadow of the temples to have the seal of authenticity or even holiness. It being understood that the gods of those temples were not the kind of gods that we attribute to, you know, the good Christian god, you know, the you know, nice old guy sitting on his cloud, or the you know, wonderful Lamb of God who sacrifice, sacrifices himself on the on the cross every day. Mm. I mean, those gods were they were you know, bloodthirsty, fearsome gods, mm. and that's you know, that's one thing that we don't really necessarily know now, is that the ancient etymologies of the the the, the word theos in Greek, Deus in Latin. Mm connect with um, words for fright, deos, deos for fright, and they also connect with phos for light, Mm -hmm. okay? So what we're dealing with here, if I'm trying to put together the ancient puzzle, what we're dealing with here is gods who were very frightening and they would demand, you know, they would demand human sacrifice. Mm. But they also, because they were ET kind of beings, they had all sorts of weird tools mm. that let off all sorts of extremely blinding, unnatural light. Mm. And a lot of these unnatural gods usurped the function of the natural sun to become unnatural sun gods. Mm. And then you go, you know, all through into the... and all through the the time period through to Jesus who is encoded as a sun god mm. the whole of the of, of of the of the cycle of the bible mm. is an astrotheological sort of uh, astrology of the sun basically so we've got these artificial sun gods 
who are very, very shiny and they are associated, or rather gold is associated with them. It is the metal which is associated with them. So gold has a kind of sacrality to it, mm. a holiness to it. And it connects with the fearsome nature of the gods. So somehow it's only people who have a special magical talent who can actually manipulate the gold. Mm. Okay. And because they have this kind of talent, they are connected with the temples where the astrologers, you know, the wise you, men of that time work. It's kind of complex. Would you, oh, no, no there's, a, there's, there's a simplicity to it, but there's definitely a complexity to it, like very deep, deep tapestry. Yeah. Would, uh, um, would you say that, um, just oh it's left me now my apologies i've totally blanked on what i was going to ask anyway, oh it'll come back yeah mm. well the the one thing um i'm fascinated about is uh too is when we look at ancient mesopotamia and how far back that goes i you know I, i'm just not seeing it in a period of you know five thousand years i'm just not I'm seeing it going way back. In fact, my um, um, some of my understandings in this equation when they first came, uh, this particular group first came to the planet was closer to 400,000 years ago. But a lot of it um, was in a different timeline. This is my experience of it. And, um, and, you know, we had these parallel timelines going on Earth in different dimensions of time and space. Mm of the Atlantean mm. Empire and then the, the Babylonian, the Anunnaki Empire. But they were here on the planet at the same time, but just in different frequencies. And then with the harmonic convergence, they started bumping into each other, you know, and then, mm. then they had the big fight. And, uh, and, and, uh, and, and they talk about the threesome cities in the Bhagavad Gita and, and, uh, and these sorts of, um, you know, literatures that uh, tell a very, very detailed story of a lot of conflict that went on back in the day, um, even even accurately describing new, the effects of nuclear weapons, you know, with mm -hmm. the flesh falling off the elephants and the, you know, it, it's um, really horrendous stuff. Yeah. I haven't looked wow. into the, I mean, you know, the book would have been way too fat if I had, you know, gone any any further back in time. Yeah, no, totally get that. Not about it's, your writing, you know, but it's I, about getting getting people to feel that. Sure, sure. It. The way I think I'm, I agree with you. History is is not. It's not accurate. Oh, yes. No. <clears throat> and when you look at uh, you know the, the the push to get control of everything that's ever been written and burn it, so they could put out their version of it. Um, and we get a different, totally different version of, uh, uh, they call it history, but we lose our heritage. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. No, Mesopotamia is a convenient kind of starting point because we get the connection with the Hebrew part, hmm. which is the bridge into, you know, the Judeo-Christian thing that has since then colonized the whole hmm. world, be it as a religious religion or as a secular religion through colonialism and imperialism and globalism and all that. So how, how does you know, this connection happen? Because I'm really fascinated in that. I, I, I haven't journeyed through that space 
and uh, you bringing it up now, um, it's got me really excited. It's yeah. Well, the really you know the whole business of the Anunnaki with their engineering mm -hmm. of what would be a slave race because the junior Anunnaki were no longer prepared to work for the senior Anunnaki. Mm. Um, it seems the Anunnaki were sufficiently skilled as uh, whatever gene editors or whatever they were doing that they managed. But they it took them a long time. It took a long time. They, they, they failed a great number of times until they got a prototype that was, you know, satisfying for them. So that was one aspect. And another aspect was the whole business of having a creature, an earthling creature that would be capable of mating with mm. the gods. Mm. So there are these twofold sort of aspects. The idea probably being that those gods understood that one possible approach to colonizing this planet would be through populating the planet with hybrids mm. and possibly taking over whatever indigenous you know beings were there this is i mean i'm i'm being totally speculative here you know i mean the scholar in me is not happy with what i'm saying mm. but it's plausible so uh then the the stories that you have of Yahweh in the mm. Old Testament, mm. they speak of this guy who creates man in his image. Well, I used the excellent work of an Italian specialist. I've used the work for the whole business of you know the Christian religion. I've used the work of Christ of of Italian alternative historians and linguists who. You know, they live right on the doorstep of the Vatican. Yeah. So they know, they have an intimate relationship wow. with it, mm. you know, and they've had this intimate relationship for a very long time. And they are very, very sophisticated, mm. bright people. Mm. So there was this one person who is now becoming quite famous called Mauro Bilino. He used to do official Bible translations. And then one day, after 17 years, I think, of doing that, he decided, no, I actually want to tell people what the, what the texts really say. And so, of course, he had to leave the establishment and he started publishing his own works. And all of them have a title that says, the Old Testament, the Bible does not talk about God. All Correct. of his works are variations on that theme. And so he gives you the Hebrew original, what it means literally, and how, if you look at it literally, what this means in today's translation, and you compare that to the official version, which itself has been reworked and reworked yeah. and reworked like crazy. Yeah. And you just see that they have added this sort of spiritualizing sort of marshmallow layer to make it really weird. Um, kind of incomprehensible but even though they you know the hebrew priests in the era before mm. jesus they did a lot of rewriting for mm. their own purposes yeah. Yeah. you couldn't really keep the integrity of this hebrew nation on the basis of a warlord god mm. that the hebrews i mean the proto-hebrews because they weren't even a nation at the time they were constantly going back to other gods because really Yahweh was the worst one of the crop. 
Yeah, he had uh, 37, I think, maidens handed to him that were never seen, to be seen again. Oh, this was a regular thing. He yeah. kept his chosen people, he kept them in a constant state of warring, mm -hmm. of fighting against their cousins of the different tribes of, mm. of what they call Israel. So it was sort of constant infighting. And his orders to them were raise the city, burn everything, mm -hmm. kill all the males, mm -hmm. kill the children, and mm -hmm. kill anything female that has already lain with a man. Mm. Those that have not lain with a man, you bring back to me. Mm. Okay. How, so how barbaric. How so would that you know this I mean, this is in language that is more understandable to us than what the Mesopotamians would have done yeah. under the yeah. Anunnaki. Yeah. Okay. But this tells me, well, okay, you know, this tells us about the sexual, the 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 sick sexual sick sexualization. Mm -hmm. of religion of religious purposes mm -hmm. uh, to oppress the natural sexuality of human mm -hmm. humans and to be to be able to get the natural human sexual energy of those young females in that particular kind of case which happened at every war um to get that sexuality to feed the energy of the God, the ET, the interdimensional, whatever it was. So, uh, you know, when did the institution of prostitution start? I mean, you know, then you could start looking into the institution of what they call sacred prostitution, of, you know, those priestesses or whatever who are attached to a temple in different religions to serve that particular purpose, but who also wield considerable power and could probably also work as intelligence agents and things like that. So, you know, when you, if you start pulling at different threads of, of the stuff that happened around temples in service, air quotes, to gods, air quotes, it's just mind boggling in terms of the establishment of the foundation of what we call civilization civilization being the culture of the city mm -hmm. which it builds itself at the expense of the culture of the countryside Correct. and at the expense of what is uh, of the people who live in the countryside and who have a natural non-religion they don't need a bloody religion mm. it's just there they have the natural sun they have the natural earth mm -hmm. they have and they have the mysteries that they contemplate every day mm. So this was something very powerful, even, you know, even if we're talking about simple peasants. Yeah, that's definitely the depth, first, first levels okay. of spirituality was our conscious relationship with with nature and, and all the mysteries and the beauty. And, and you know, like, I, I, Myra, you, you know what it's like. You work with nature. And when I'm out with nature, I'm, I'm always experiencing some sort of pageant that's playing out. You know what I mean? It's, it's really beautiful. And, and it creates that, that aura and that mystery. And there's always communication. There's always, you know, messages coming my way and me giving back as well. And there's this dialogue that goes on. And yeah. and in that dialogue is, you know, the wisdom and, and realizations and apocalyptic moments. And it's just beautiful. Yeah. I mean, why would you need anything else? I mm. mean, really? Mm. So they've managed to ingrain in 
in in humans the need for something else you were mentioning now I, I don't you know i don't want to forget that you were talking about all this stuff dating back far 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 further back in time um my sense and i really don't know and i think your you know you your your capacities are far more attuned to to those greater dimensions of space and time but my sense is that uh, yes, indeed, there have been a number of visitors in different parts of the world who've done different things. Um, so, you know, we have traces of extremely uh, blissful cultures out in the North Pole area. And there's more and more coming out about this, you know, from the Scandinavians and from whatever the northern slavs there's a hell of a lot of research happening in russia on that now and you know it i i really get a sense that way 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 back our original partnership with this earth was truly co-creative yeah. when we came here and we were much more multi much more intrinsically let's say no or obviously manifestly interdimensional mm -hmm. we were not so limited in quotes to our three-dimensionality which is not actually true but that's what we believe yeah. we were living in all our dimensions much more fully so we could be you know we could be as light as transparent as we needed to be at any particular point in time and we had this natural communication with earth and you know, we would come up with some kind of, we would imagine a new kind of fruit. And, you know, she would go, yeah, I like that idea. And she would, you know, <laughs> grow a tree that produced that kind of fruit. I'm okay. It's a joke. I'm saying it oh, as a joke. Not because, so far removed. But I think something along those lines is mm. what used to happen. And we have yeah. deep down in us, we have the memory of that. Mm. And we have the memory also of having been trees, at least some of us, I think. Yeah. Yeah. You know, they are our closest, oh, I don't know, cousin um, in terms of the whatever universal soul manifestation. I, you know, I don't know how to explain Incred this. This it's is incredible. just. Trees are incredible. I'd love to do a podcast just on trees, you know. Uh, I'll tell you what. Yeah. Well, I met myself as a tree. Uh, in uh, the Flinders Ranges and that just f floored me when I I sobbed like a baby I, I drove for hours to get there from the calling it was so strong and when I got there I just didn't even close the door behind me on the car just <laughs> out of the car just, like, just walking straight towards it like what and uh, the realisation then connecting in with that part of my being and um, integrating consciously and I mean really beginning to feel what trees are doing in this world and oh, it's not just the um the fact that they take you know we have this uh yin and yang relationship with them this reciprocal relationship where you know we breathe in oxygen we breathe out carbon dioxide they breathe in carbon dioxide they breathe out oxygen so there's a established relationship right there that we rely on each other you know and i know that they're not the main source of oxygen that really plankton is but uh um still they do play a massive role in that regard but there's another role that they play which they showed me 
uh, which that part of my being showed me as well, is that um, think about how much we emanate, you know, like, yes. and what are we emanating? And every thought that you have projects an energy out. So you've got all these billions of people walking around projecting, pouring out unhappy thoughts, negative thoughts, evil thoughts, mean thoughts, good thoughts, lovely thoughts, selfish thoughts, you know, overall speaking, a thought process of a human being in today's era on the planet Earth is, I would have to say, at least 80% of the thought process is really in a dark space. Yeah. yeah. And so, so the emanation of energy is just constantly, well, where does it all go? And I was shown really distinctly that the trees soak up human emotion, human Yeah, especially in the cities. George, oh. in the cities, the trees in the cities, what yeah. they have to take. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. They're frontline workers, you know, doing so much. And if people would understand just how important it is to have trees around in the cityscape, it would, uh, yeah, would change the environment so much. Well, what I, you know, what I got from, you know, there is one particular tree that calls me every day at my place and you know i often sort of put questions to her she's very much a lady mm, um nice. and uh i mean occasionally she says things to me which are no nah, come on <laughs> no oh, please <laughs> but there's one thing that i find mm. when when this this came through to me i thought I just, I quivered and I really felt that this was absolutely true, is that they have a direct line of communication to the core of Earth mm. and way up, you know, mm. way up, does it go to the core of the galaxy? I don't know how far up it goes, mm. but they certainly communicate with the core of Earth, at least the big trees. Mm. And if, you know, if that is... I feel that to be true. The scholar in me cannot prove that, but I really feel that the contemplative feels that to be true. And um, if so, you look at how they've deforested the great forests, oh, the yeah. big trees, what they are still doing in the, you know, in the big um, tropical uh, Amazon basin and things like that, what they've been doing in, in Malaysia, replacing, you know, the native uh, primal forest with uh, palm, palm oil palm plantations. The amount of communication of uh, congruence, of harmony hmm. between the core of the earth and everything out there that was mediated by all these great beings. I mean, the crime against this is not just a crime against nature. It's a crime against the universe. Mm -hmm. If you look, if you know, I mean, if you're prepared to take this kind of consideration all the way through. Mm. Uh, ha -ha. Due, due to the fact, fractal nature of this world, then it is. Yeah. Also, also indeed. So, you know, this is just another indication of the hubris of the gods, mm. you know, that is really coming to a boil right now in a huge way. Mm. Mm. So, yeah. Mm. Fantastic. So, um, when 
we're in this space that we're in now of you know this huge evolutionary leap you know because I want to tie everything back then to now um, you know how did you manage that in your book to you know present in your book a lot of incredible ancient knowledge because you've done that and in the talks that we've had that it's pretty clear that that's what you're doing which is a magnificent thing to be doing um, and how do you tie it into the present day for people well what's the bridge? there again my my the, for me okay we've got the linear sort of movement from the gods of religion to the spiritual god that we believe in in christianity going into the god of money the god of science and you know and the god of whatever it is that is happening now that i call techno mind god and who truly is i mean it's a very very real being i certainly do not believe it's just an egregore it's really you know it's uh whatever but my reading is I would not have been able to go through this whole journey if I had not had this initiation mm. with these people called the Fakir in Bengal, who are in the land of the greatest number of gods and goddesses in the world, it being understood that the gods and goddesses of India are actually not what we understand to be gods and goddesses. That's a whole different conversation. And there's so many of in, them. Wow. Well, precisely, that's the whole point. You create one as you need one, okay? You make your own. And you make your own because you want to cultivate a particular attribute for yourself. So I'd so like to go tools. back to the very original, like, you know, the core story of that because uh, for me, I find that fascinating. So sorry I'm throwing another sort of side thing in there, but it, it's, it's all part of the whole, taking from the ancient and then bridging to the present for people well the, um, i mean the okay the indian culture you've got the gods that are what you call gods hmm. okay the gods where you've got the priest and you've got all the nya 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 and you've got all the devotion and you go and supplicate the god to give you whatever it is that you have to get hmm. um and then you've got the other side of a human's relationship with the whatever supernatural if you want to call, I mean, there again, it's not the correct word. We don't, I'm not going to say spiritual because that's also not the correct world word. The interdimensional is probably the most sort of neutral word that we have, which is to, the whole point is to take the God inside yourself. And you go to, you know, the normal way to go to an Indian temple is to go and have darshan and darshan means seeing. You're going to go in and you're going to look the god or the goddess in the eyes, the, the effigy, the idol, and the god is going to look you in the eye. Mm. It's going to be the looking in both directions. Mm. So this is a very different attitude. Yeah. And you you come out, you come out of there. I mean, I haven't, I mean, I've, you know, done the darshan thing, but doesn't it never really touched me but mm. it really touched the indians around me mm. and it gave them a sense of and they hadn't needed to pay any money for it they you know 
everybody could go into the temple. It was. Does it, does it give them a sense of safety? Safety. Well, yeah, I suppose it helps in terms of. Were they looking for safety? (laughs) Yeah, is that why they do it? Because they're actually really looking. Because they don't feel safe, so they, you know, they don't have that trust and and that that. That would be that would be a byproduct of you know. After all, I went and lived in India in the so-called modern era, where mm-hmm. dangers are way more than they used to be. <laughs> but the <coughs> sorry, get yeah, no, take your time. Have a drink of water. My throat's playing up today too. Hi. The relationships, the relationship mm. of Indians to their gods is really so totally different <laughs> from what we have in the West. Mm. Or the, <coughs> what we call the West, mm. including you guys in Australia. Do you want to, do you want to pause <coughs> a couple of minutes? I'll edit this bit out. Yeah, can we? Yeah, sure. <coughs> I'll edit this part out. Yeah, so the, I mean, people's relationship, I mean, people's relationship in, okay, traditional India, it is changing very much now because India has converted to the money god. It has. And the goddess of abundance, Lakshmi, has become, to a large extent, the goddess of money. And she serves the rich more than the poor. I mean, this is, you know, this is mathematically so, true. So, so I've got something to ask you. Lakshmi, you know, the goddess of abundance, etc. So obviously, um, do you feel like Lakshmi was, um, for example, a being who came to Earth? Or do you feel that that's a persona that's been created by humans that is now a living entity and a, and a life force unto itself? Because when you look at all the ancient tribes... Uh, even if you look at American Indian tribes, for example, and they have the, uh, you know, some of their um, you know, representations of Kachinas, you've got the original Kachinas that came from the stars, but then after that, they made their own Kachinas. And, you know, and even if you go beyond that, you go to um, really ancient times in, in tribal law, LRE law, then what we have is um, medicine men and medicine women would sit the tribe down together if the tribe felt like a danger or if there was a lion lurking or a bear or whatever. And what they would do is then they would sit down and create an, a figure out mm-hmm. of straw, out of grass, sticks, whatever, a um, little bit of colour and paint and that. They would create a figurine, then they would do a ceremony and manufacture, like literally create that in an interdimensional sense and that mm-hmm. entity would patrol interdimensionally the tribe and the tribe space, the you know their territory, and protect the tribe. So these interdimensional beings would be brought into existence by the collective intention of the tribe, you know, under the guidance of the medicine man and medicine woman. So is this a similar process that we're seeing play out, but on a larger scale in a more modern version in? You know what we call the pantheon of some of those Indian gods in that way. I'm I am i am not sure because the equivalent of what you describe used to exist in every Indian village. There would be the hmm. the shrine to the village 
goddess. God. Yeah, village. Who would goddess. be an indigenous yeah. goddess. Um, you know, very, very localized. Mm. So that would be the equivalent of that. Yeah. And and I and I and I don't expect they, you to like would, a definitive I, answer. I mean, no, I'm, no, asking, no. I'm asking one of the biggest is, questions ever. You know, I'm asking about the origins of a god. I mean, a goddess. You know, like wow. No, no, but it's a great question. I mean, yeah. it's you know, definitely a great question. Yeah. And another another aspect is, um, I think that let's you can take Lakshmi, you can take any other principle, any other idea idea of you know what humans uh conceptualize or need or whatever and you can organize what will become something that we would erroneously call a god later on i would see my sense you know of the indian spirituality and not religion is that they had very from very early on an intrinsic sense of the guiding principles of the universe. Mm -hmm. And they were perhaps the first, I don't know, to establish the primordial pair of the um, primordial masculine and primordial feminine. And then the different, what we call their gods, which <laughs> I, they are not gods in the Western sense, are emanations of that. Now, it is normal in every society to want to have abundance. You want to have the abundance of food to feed your family and to be able to give away and to have, yeah. you know, parties and feasts. And, it, you know, when you live in abundant nature, abundance is a normal thing. Mm. So you're going to have a particular human relationship with abundance as it manifests but you will also feel that abundance has a spirit of its own mm. and you're going to want to relate with that well and you may and you may feel the relationship between mm. the abundance manifested in the world surrounding you and the mm. abundance inside yourself correct yep. okay yep now down the line do you start perhaps you start needing especially if you're a king or a queen mm. you perhaps you're going to start to need to enshrine that as an official goddess of abundance for the purposes of the kingdom so that you are going to serve abundance to your subjects to keep them happy mm. and at the same time have the abundance you need to you know pay for your army and for your luxury here we go. Here we go. They agree. Do you think, do you think tyrants or conquerors or kings and queens, you know, and, and let's say the not so nice ones, do you think they created deific figures, figurines or, or, you know, personas? Because if people are praying to those gods and things don't come to them, then they can't really, it's not the ultimate responsibility doesn't fall on the king. It falls on the deity. So yeah. it's like a way out for the king. Oh, sure. Of course. Yeah, of, of the responsibility of providing, you know, abundance to the people because he's too busy hoarding it for himself, right? That's always <laughs> and accumulating a possibility. power, which means he's That's... got to have more, they've got to have less. Well, how do I get around it? 
oh, let's create a deific figure. And when the deity doesn't provide the, the abundance because it's not forthcoming, then they're going to just be real with guilt and shame because they think that they've done something wrong and they're not good enough or, you know, they've been bad people and their God doesn't look favorably upon them. And I can use that as a king to leverage the people. That's, I think that's the modus operandi of the, of the Mesopotamian model. Mm. I don't think that's how it works in India because, I mean, it's... Um, uh, you know, the image of the virtuous king hmm. is really, it used to be very, 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 I mean, okay, they don't have any real kings anymore. True but that. <laughs> it's, uh, you know, I lived in Benares the very last couple of years of the existence of the king of Benares, <clears throat> who had been allowed by the British to remain the so-called king of Benares, provided he moved out of Benares to live on the other side of the Ganges River mm -hmm. in an old dilapidated uh, uh, palace mm -hmm. with, you know, pretty much no money. But he was revered by the people of Benares because he was, he was a contemplative. He spent most of his time, you know, meditating and, you know, thinking of keeping the balance for that holy city. And when he died, I've never seen such mourning, you know, amongst Indians. It was just, oh, the whole city. Benares is the most, you can't imagine a more bustling city than that. Mm. The whole city went dead for a week. It was just, oh. oh. So there is also the ancient contract between, you know, a king in the noble sense and the people. I mean, oh. there are all sorts of, okay, there are all sorts of very positive things that we can't deny. Now, they've been usurped by the bad kings and this, that, and the Correct. other. So, you know, we have to be much more nuanced. In, 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 in the early days, just to quickly, just a quick interjection, um, yeah. the king and all the queen were completely in union, conscious relationship with the elements. And, and if the king was sick, then the weather would turn foul. And there'd be droughts and there'd be you know what i mean and, and even if the king or the queen turned sick in mind you know and, and became a little bit more greedy you'd start to see an imbalance in the weather occur you know and the land and pestilence and what have you so that that connection was was standard you know back in the day if you're going to rule then you're going to be in charge of everything you know so there was this multi-dimensional relationship going on between whoever sat on the throne and and you know and was custodian or had stewardship over the people yeah and there's i mean what you're talking about is you know very ancient relationships which bring us into you know the role of the shaman mm. and the ancient leaders i wouldn't call them rulers prior mm. to the notion of actual kingship they had you know th they had this deep interdimensional connection with nature, with the people, they symbolized, they kind of coalesced, they they sort of, they had the power, both physically and, and, and in the subtle way, hmm. to hold the relationship. And it was understood that this relationship was absolutely vital. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, yeah? so, you know, you, you still have traces of that in certain indigenous communities, or you still had it prior to their destruction. Mm. 
you see traces of it in you know whatever anthropologists ethnologists have been able to to document before they were before they were annihilated mm -hmm. so you know th th there are these very ancient patterns and within that context um you know the the business of creating a deity well you you, you might need to create a thought form that is not necessarily a deity. There again, we have a lot of confusion. What is thought form, an egregore, a demon, hmm. you know, uh, an interdimensional, an elemental, a fairy? We, we don't know the distinctions between, mostly these are interdimensional beings that are they real. Are. They are. Some we of us- it, We can strip it down the simplicity of just saying the title of interdimensional. Right. But then I, you know, there is the very useful word daimon in Greek. The daimon can be both stretched towards the meaning of a god or stretched towards the meaning of a demon. Correct. Your daimon can be your yeah, inspiring via. muse. Via. And that's where the word theo, via. Viavolo is the devil, you know, and, uh, and uh, uh, diamon, diamon is uh, and Thermon is you know where you get that that link into whether you're going to have it as a you know benevolent god or you can have it as something that's not so benevolent there you are now people in ancient times were much more accustomed to the ambivalence of the daimonic realm they had it's only with the christian religion that we start having a good god versus a bad devil which are actually two faces of exactly the same thing as mm. you know you have very well described in you know seminars that you've mm. done mm. thank you they're they're both inventions of each other yeah yeah one is the alter ego of each other you know in right. a particular vibrational space of reality so you have the whole the space and then inside that space you have these two alter egos playing out of god versus the devil it's fascinating yeah. And, the, and, and how the, the, this planet and the conscious awareness of this planet and humanity has been drawn into that dialectic that has been created. Absolutely fascinating. Yeah, because natural life, the natural way of love and the natural way of life exists beyond that dialectic and that space. Quite, quite. Yes, but they've managed to create the great fear in humans yeah. of the greater dialectic of nature yeah. and 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 the natural way of of things which is you know another great well it's taking something that's as them. beautiful as the yin and yang symbol and everything that represents and everything that it means but then co-opting it making your own version of it or something like that and that's what these entities do these entities that we call gods that's what they do you know and they have and some of them you know, think about think about you know many eras and 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 epochs passing, you know, and uh, you know a very long period of time, not as much as an eon because that really is a seriously long time, uh, <laughs> but you know epochs are very can be very long times. So that can be millions of years, um, <clears throat> as well. So we have uh, in front of us a. a Oh, what am I trying to say? I've got a million things going through my mind at the moment and I want to say them all at the same time. Yeah, I'm feeling that and I'm feeling that in my own head too, so. Wow. <laughs> um, you know, 
okay, I'm gonna st- I'm gonna take a step back. I'm gonna take a step back because I, I want to make sure I explain that one correct. I'll, I'll let you go a bit more before I come back with what I want to share. Not quite there yet. I haven't quite structured it in the way I want to share it. Okay, well, I'll take you back to India, mm. where in my initial years there, you know, I would often take local trains phenomenally slow phenomenally uncomfortable phenomenally overpacked and it would be a total treat because the little people around you they would all be talking about dharma Hmm. but it was juicy Hmm. it was about and they would get they would get passionate. They would have these extremely intense conversations. It's such a big deal for me because, um, I, honestly, you know, their passion is like, that's my passion. I want to live my life purpose. I want to live my fundamental purpose. There's a lot of people that don't mm-hmm. understand what the word Dharma is. And it's living your fundamental purpose. It's why did you come to this world? It's your, you know, I don't want to use the word life mission. It's just so, you know, it doesn't have the right vibration. It's flat. Yeah. But it's like... You know, you're walking your universal path, you know, in this world. I mean, it's just so rich and fat and juicy and substantial. Um, You know, the real essence of Dharma. Oh, gorgeous. So, I mean, you know, they were using all these religious, Mm. so-called religious themes. Mm. And they were playing around with these things. There was very, I mean... Mm. Occasionally, somebody would come up with a dogmatic, you know, utterance, and you know, they'd be <laughs> shut down by somebody else. It was just, it was amazing. And you know, mm. these people they didn't need to TV. They, you know, mm. it was religion in which was not religion was. It's just so natural to them. Mm-hmm. Now, against that background, because that was just the introduction <laughs> to what I was going to say. I came upon, I I don't know, life sent me among these people in Bengal who say very explicitly, we have no gods, no priests, no religion. Ours is the human path. And if they had capital letters, they would put capital letters on human path. They don't have capital letters. Wow. Oh, boy. And somehow this, this grabbed me. And so and, I, and can yeah. you share with me who said that again? Where that came from? The the these people who openly call themselves fakir. Fakir means poor, and many many people who, you know, a fakir conventionally is the guy who's going to lie on a bed of nails and prove mm. his spiritual value like that. Interesting, because in in my um, home that I grew up with, that word means uh, lentil soup. <laughs> And they would have been uh, their think... food, mostly. Right. Fakir means, well, from Arabic, means poor, basically. Mm-hmm. And it was a title that many virtuous kings claimed for themselves, mm-hmm. where they were not att- attached to all the worldly trappings of their function, and they did their best to serve mm-hmm. and to find the primordial reality of Allah, or whatever it was, you know. Mm-hmm. So... But this is just a generic title that they use to give themselves a name, you know, for public consumption. But amongst themselves, they say, ours is the human path. And, okay, you know, we we respect the existence of gods, but therefore, you know, other people who don't understand that basically everything has to do with 
the fact also that there is no castes. There are only two castes. And we I'm, I'm using the word caste because it's the conventional translation of their word jati, which means birth. Okay. There again, that particular word has been trafficked. <laughs> and the two births are basically male and female. Right. So the whole world of humans is made of nothing but males and females. Now, I mean, uh, yes, of course. Oh, hello. <laughs> okay, there, there might be a few hermaphrodites, you know, locked away <clears throat> yeah, in the yeah, corner, and some of them may, may be engineered, whatever. But basically, and why is this important? Because it is the manifestation of the two primordial principles mm. of the masculine and the feminine. Mm. And that consequently, if you understand that you are one or the other of these, uh, the embodiment of one or the other, yeah. well, your path is going to be a human path of integrating the principle to such an extent that actually you can together integrate both mm. and achieve cosmic unity. Mm. So, um, Another way of putting it is to discover the self with a capital S through the cultivation of the self with a small s. They, you know, they, no austerities, no, no self-punishment, no self-mortification, a very elaborate esoteric sense of human anatomy. Mm. I mean, we're talking illiterate people. We're talking grassroots illiterate mm. people who don't mm. have loads of free time to go, you know, uh, uh, imagining stuff. Mm. And, you know, this is, it's an old tradition. It's lost in the mists of time where it starts. What I see part of the it world again is it spawned from? Bengal. Bengal is the eastern frontier of India. Bengal. It yeah. used Bangladesh and West Bengal used to be one state right. the british right. sliced them up even before mm. independence of india mm. because i mean you know they were most of the best intellectuals came from there mm. bengal used to be it used to be a land of abundance you had the the deltas of the brahmaputra and the ganges mm. giving silt mm -hmm. you could grow rice tw three times a year Wow. naturally without without having to you know do anything basically all the chroniclers from the middle ages you know until the 16th 17th 18th century who went there they all said this land of abundance mm -hmm. the women are so beautiful and everybody's smiling all the time mm -hmm. well they've certainly changed that you know i mean the british raj did a great job of mm -hmm. teaching this these people what famine is Mm -hmm. I mean, the famine, the Bengal famines, which are documented in history, they were a fabrication by the British. Mm -hmm. wow, I can, you know, can you imagine the shock to people whose culture has always been abundance. in natural abundance yeah. and, and conversing with the primordial principles of the masculine and the feminine? Mm -hmm. And with the greatest reverence across the Indian subcontinent, the greatest reverence for the feminine. Bengal is the land of the feminine in India. Feminine, abundance, matrix, you put them all together, okay? Mm -hmm. 
and they are taught that you can die of hunger mm. by the British. Mm. And, you know, millions of them died. And, mm. you know, the total shock. And I witnessed a little bit of what that could be like when there were cold waves. Horrendous. When there were cold waves in the times when I lived there, people, oh. a lot of people died of cold because they did not have a sense to get a blanket. Mm. It was simply not part of their so cultural, the natural programming. So changing from that beautifully balanced, abundant ecosystem. Oh, now bringing in, in these other energies and now the weather starts to change too and you get cold spells coming in. And, you know, and, and, you know, to a degree, I'm seeing this play out in my country where, the, we, you know, we've been living in the last few decades in a very, very beautiful space. It has its problems. Sure, there's been corruption and things like that, but what we're seeing right now, the raping of our land and our country, it's really, really bad. And that what you just described what happened to those people is what's happening to australia right now yeah because they want to introduce hardship and famine and suffering and pain and you know lack and scarcity they want us fighting amongst ourselves it's really you know, the way this energy is you know doing it and you can see in the past how they've done it and that's why it's quite easy to spot as to what's being done now in my country and i'm sure in maybe even where you are and in Thailand there and other countries all around the world which we're starting to see this oh yes now it's everywhere in. yeah yeah oh, it's everywhere but mm. but 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 I think you know there are count counter I mean you know better than I do oh yeah no this forces. will be this will be short-lived <laughs> it'll it'll look like it's going to have traction but it'll be short-lived and uh yeah I'm I'm very confident that this won't last too long it's just uh you know how much uh, are people going to be able to cope when it does arrive and you know a little, yeah. a little bit more substantial nature than what it is now and yeah i think the next few months are going to be really quite fascinating it's going to be a wild ride you know really roller coaster ride um but hey you know it's that's if that's what it's going to take to shake and stir human consciousness to you know to a point of, of waking up a little bit more and you've got to have that pain needs to reach that critical mass you know otherwise it doesn't catalyze change so yes you know, unfortunately as well mm. unfortunately yeah. when we were ourselves we did not need to learn through pain no, no and i really you know a great great wish for the future children will be that they can learn because we are natural learners and not oh, because yeah. pain is inflicted well, I'm, I'm in constant dialogue with Mother Earth. I'm going, how much longer? You know, I talk to the collective soul essence of humanity and I'm like, how much longer do we need this process of pain and suffering? You know, we don't, we don't, I don't need it in my life anymore. And, and I'm sure that other people don't need it in their lives anymore. And, you know, just how much longer are we going to play this game for? Because I'm well, very Earth much is fed it. up. Earth is fed up. Yeah, she's, she's had enough. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely yeah. fed up. Yeah, we would look. We've already would have already seen a lot of changes by now, but uh, they're using technology to hold her back. You know, she's she's in chains, uh, technologically speaking, and uh, and you know the the vibration will get to the point where those chains are going to break. They won't be able to hold her back anymore. Uh, so and and that's creating the pressure, uh, which is creating better diamonds. You know, so to speak. So you can I can see the 
how it's all playing out from much larger framework, you know, that, that detached, you know, not buying into the drama sort of thing, but looking at it from a much more um, evolutionary creational space. Um, however, when we come back in, it's like, I don't want to suffer anymore. Do you want to suffer anymore? I'm sure you don't want to be suffering anymore. And, you know, there's all different expressions of pain. You know, we can have good pain. You go for a jog and you enjoy it and you're going up that hill and you can feel your legs hurting, but you're really enjoying it, you know, and there's there's good pain. Do you know what I mean? And productive pain and, and alchemical pain. And But this other form of pain that's being dished out, that is something completely different. Yeah. Mm. That's evil. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So um, we as a humanity are changing. And now I look at, you know, what you're bringing through, the knowledge that you're bringing through and, and bringing this awareness. Um, I'd love to hear more about what's in that book because um, every chat that we've had has been so deep and juicy. And I'm sure people are getting a taste of it already in this podcast. So in this, <laughs> this session. So, yeah. What else can you share with us that's in the book that feels appropriate? Uh, I know I'm mm. gonna ask the same question. Yeah, so, it's a big question it's, because it's a buffet so in in here right now. You've got the buffet, right? You're like which one? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, perhaps. I mean, we've been okay. You you just sort of finished uh, in reference to you know, Mother Earth. Mm. And we all understand her to be a sublime expression of the feminine principle. Mm. And, you know, I really, I had read a lot of books by Westerners, you know, esoterically and intellectually looking at the masculine and the feminine principle. It was all very abstract. In India, wow. It all became very, very, very real, including in its interdimensional, hyperdimensional, whatever you want to call it, dimensions. Who, who are the two um, main deific figures that that you know? Well, that's represent? the whole. That's the that's the whole thing. So they would be. They're either the couple of Shakti and Shiva, or they're the couple of Prakriti and Purusha. Now, there again, the Indians are so flexible and they are so curious about, you know, all sorts of other dimensions, other other aspects of these, of anything that they, that they deal with that is of the human plane or beyond the, the material human plane. Mm. They're going to touch into something else and give it a new name. And then whatever deity does perhaps emerge out of that, if somebody makes an icon of that deity, they're going to give that deity a new chant of a thousand names. So, I mean, it's overflowing this thing, which is why it's got nothing to do with the dogmatic sort of kind of understanding of religion that we have in monotheism. Mm. It's, it's kind of overwhelming. But basically, if we take the Shakti and Shiva, pair. Shakti means power, energy. She's the mover and the shaker. Shiva is, they usually translate his function as consciousness. Now, consciousness is a very modern, very Western world and it, it word. Is. 
and I'm not happy with it. Mm. He's, you know, normally portrayed as, you know, he's being the meditator sitting on the top of some Himalayan mountain, eyes closed, totally indifferent to everything. There are catastrophes all over the earth. The gods are imploring Shiva to come and help. He says, F you, <laughs> you know, I'm meditating. So this is in the scriptures what you're saying. I'm 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 caricaturing a little bit, but that's yeah, basically yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, yeah. Shiva. But that's basically, so basically what's been written. He's I translate this into our terms as mm. he is the holder of what is in formation, that which gives form. She gives the energy and he gives the form. So is he considered the architect? No. They, they, no. Okay. I mean, there are other. <laughs> she, you know, if you look at, then you've got Shiva as part of the trilogy of three male gods, Brahma, Shiva, and Vishnu, where Shiva is the destroyer. Hmm. But then you don't have the ladies. They later on, those three, they get a, they get a lady, and Vishnu gets Lakshmi. And Shiva gets Parvati, who is the mountain. And Brahma has, I forget whom. But so let's not be distracted by that one. If, I, if I'm inspired by what these very esoteric grassroots people passed on to me, mm. um, to me, the Shiva and Shakti pair are absolutely fundamental of any creation requires energy, and the thing that will put that energy into a form hmm. in formation. Hmm. It's not information like listening to the news. It's in formation. What informs your gestures. And there's a very beautiful image, myth, of um, the Ganges River as an emanation, goddess in the Indian sense of the feminine principle, She's tumbling down the Himalayan rivers mm. and she's oh, torrential. Mm. And the gods are really worried that she's going to create havoc absolutely everywhere. So they call mm. Shiva, do something about this. So what does he do? He catches the water of the river Ganges in his dreadlocks. He gives them form to those torrents of water in his dreadlocks and they come out as a pacified river. He has informed the energy mm. to produce a more harmonious mm. thing. Now, if we are prepared to consider that the feminine principle actually has the energy as opposed to the Western, you know, and even the Chinese thing, where the female is passive and the male is active. Mm -hmm. As if that were, you know, we all have both male and female in us anyway. Mm. And we all have, you've got women who are more male and female and, and, and vice versa. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, this, there's no value judgment involved in this, but if one understands that particular perspective, it becomes much, much more interesting to look at the game of the masculine and the feminine from way up there as principles all the way down into our manifestation here. Mm. 
the other <laughs> um, duality of male and female out there, which I want to bring in because it brings it closer to earth, mm. is what they call prakriti, which is the female, the feminine, and purush, the masculine. Now, prakriti is translated today as nature, and purush is translated as man, male man. Ah, huh. Mm. But basically, they are not very distant from the first two, the first two, you know, that I mentioned just a while ago. Mm. Now, prakriti, what it really means is you've got the root of prakrit, procreation, basically. It's mm. It's the creative energy of everything. Once again, we're still in an energy concept, but it's kind of more coming into manifestation. Mm -hmm. And then you've got Purusha, which is actually, it's translated as man now, but I understand it to be the Anthropos, mm -hmm. which is not gendered, but which is a principle of differentiation. if you see what I mean. Mm. When you've got energy, energy needs to be informed to produce differentiated forms of energy. So is this like a third component? So you've got the two sides of the dialectic and the third component is the differential charge between the two? No, I'm saying that okay. the existent, the purusha, the, mm -hmm. the masculine principle introduces mm differentiation, individuation, mm. by informing, producing mm -hmm. whatever it is, mm -hmm. that it's spark of something that is in the masculine. Mm. It informs the feminine to produce new life, mm -hmm. to produce new forms, whatever. Mm -hmm. Okay? That is the complementarity. Mm -hmm. It is expressed in two different ways with these two pairs, Shiva Shakti and Prakriti Purusha. Mm -hmm. But what is interesting is that Purusha, as opposed to Shiva, mm. who is, you know, an out there principle, mm. Purusha brings us closer to the human being okay. as a principle of differentiation, mm. of creating diversity, of mm. producing the information mm. that the feminine principle mm. will grab and produce new forms from. Mm. So I know this goes pretty deep. Is that correlate to, you know, the, the creation of Adam and then from Adam's rib, woman or something else was created? You know, like, is that any correlation no, in that? No, yeah. I wouldn't correlate. I really would not know how to, perhaps it is, mm. but, you know, what kind of relationship did the ancient Hebrews have with the Indians? We don't know. Mm -mm. We don't know. I reckon they were but, two different empires and they went to war. But basically what we've got in, in the ancient Indian system, there is no, there have been attempts at installing patriarchal rule. And that's how the rule of the Brahmins came into place. Mm. But Tantra evolved as a spontaneous counterculture mm. to reinstate the centrality of the feminine, the energy. If you don't have the energy, nothing happens. Mm -hmm. You can have all the brilliant ideas for blueprints and yeah, creating all that stuff. Intellectual yeah, naval contemplating, not even okay. intellectualizing, really. Right. So it's, uh, <clears throat> you know, the Adam and Eve thing. Why the hell would, you know, you need to create this clone of the masculine? 
out of a rib. Uh, yeah, why need to clone a masculine to make a feminine? Hmm. When, when well, you already had... Um, yeah, they had his, uh, his consort was Asherah, who was also a goddess in the Mesopotamian times. Was it the same Asherah or another Asherah? I don't know. But if they wanted to have some kind of hybrid, they could, you know, why need to create an Eve out of the body of the Adam? I don't get it. Other than a ploy of a patriarchal religion. Correct. Yeah, I agree okay. with that one. And boy, patriarchalism, you know, across that zone of that part of the world. Mm. Hmm. <laughs> yes, indeed. Yeah. Whereas you look at the whole arc, India, the Slavic, mm -hmm. the whole sort of uh, the shamanic uh, Eurasian belt, all the way up into the northern parts of, of Europe, mm. across that whole landmass, they were all very balanced in terms of, of, uh, of the two sexes. I'm not even going to say gender because that's a grammatical term. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, beautiful. Yeah, and... Um interestingly um just a side note the um through that part of the world what was really honored was the uh, medicine woman known as toltosh it's a lineage of medicine men and medicine women and um but she was the the toltosh women were held in very high regard very well respected and they were really connected to you know, uh, the the land and the elements and Mother Earth, and they brought forth so much wisdom, uh, very powerful healing. Yeah, it's incredible. That, um, that part Whereabouts? Uh, Whereabouts? Yeah, it's like, uh, you know, deep in Hungary and going further north of Hungary into the mountains. Yes, right, 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 right. I was just, I've just been very interested in that. That's yeah. another bit. Central Europe is, is absolutely a key part of the, Mm. Of of Earth's There's a very natural, powerful creation grid. creation story in that part of the world, yeah. And uh, yeah. you know, and of course we have the Caucasus Mountains, and then we have the other mountain ranges through there, and you know, the Caucasian. You know, is that where white man was was formed? You know, they're all pretty sunburnt, huh? Mm. The Caucasians <laughs> in the in the Caucasus region. You know, for what I've seen there, they're mm -hmm. kind of closer to brown you know mediterranean very 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 mediterranean not terribly white so okay. all of all this diversity and all the ancient sort of materials that are coming out now yeah. from all these different places seem to indicate that um you know earth has been visited colonized whatever by yeah. a whole variety of different uh different cultures yeah. including our own yeah. primordial one and that and that diversity you know if we can latch on to that diversity we can recover a hell of a lot that we need to mm. recover and not be obsessed with the mesopotamian you know hebrew christian um uh, and 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 um you know medieval and colonial and mm. now global and now techno mm. um oppressors um you 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 um due to the, you know you participating in some of my work you'd you'd understand my take on the whole christ thing is there something that you can if you've got a, a another perspective or add to um what i've shared 
because um, I, I really feel that there's like in every because you talked about the different gods in in the you know uh, Indian pantheon um, and how they're created and um, by you know local villages and on a larger scale. Yeah, I, I feel like there's the uh, there's the natural what we would call Christos energy natural occurring, which is a label. It's not a name. It's a label actually. Yeah. Uh, descriptive title for a um, you know energy emanating out of the heart of the universe, part of universal creation, uh, which is inside each and every one of us. And then there's this cult of personality that's been created. Uh, that process. Um, can you speak to that and how does that relate to what's happened in other pantheons? Oh, I don't know how that relates to other pantheons, but to me... Or well, the process I mean, of it. The, 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 you know, the... I was much more... I'm much more interested in the man called Jesus than in, you know, the entity that they call Christ. Mm-hmm. Having... You know, I was raised a Catholic and I found it terribly, it was so boring, it was totally mm-hmm. unbelievable. Mm. Um, and then I was never particularly interested. But mm. in the researching for the book, I bumped into another Italian historian, very rigorous guy, mm. who, okay, you know, shit, who is this man, Jesus? Mm. And so he looked at all the possible sources the gospels the apocrypha mm-hmm. the other you know historical references that were not connected directly with religion from the roman empire the different commentaries from different sources of the time and he gathered the smallest common denominator that he found in all these sources the details of the life of a man called Jesus, Yeshua, and that the fit, they were the same details in all these different is, sources. Is, the, is so if, the name is accurate? The name uh, Yeshua? Or Jesus? I haven't felt into it. I feel like that's, yeah, okay, because I'm, I'm interested Jesus, in the, well, yeah, Jesus. Um, yeah. Jesus would have been the Greekification that then was. Yeah, that's what my mum called it, yeah. Isa. Oh sure, but it's Yeshua. I mean, you know, in in mm. Hebrew, mm. it's generally Yeshua. Mm. So, you know, you can't find a historian who's more thorough than that. He's mm. really taking the only bits that match across all these different sources, mm. and he patches together the story of a guy who is utterly human. Mm-hmm. And well, and you know, the story is in the book. He becomes a rebel. He starts off as a, you know, basically a piece of social shit because he's a bastard. Mm -hmm. His mother has probably been raped by a Roman soldier. Mm -hmm. And so she normally would have been abandoned, but she was lucky. She was small. She was innocent. She didn't probably, and, you know, Joseph took pity on her and with great misgivings, you know, kept her. But um, Jesus, the guy Jesus would have grown up with you know in that kind of society being a bastard is not a good idea so but he gets redeemed by the baptism operated by his cousin john his cousin is from another branch of the same family 
both his parents of, are of ancient priestly lineages. And so he is born, you know, with, he has access to all the knowledge, to all the resources, everything, but he decides like many other in that period, you know, a few people, I'm going out to the desert looking for the truth. Mm. So off he goes to the desert and he looks for the truth. And eventually, you know, Jesus, when Jesus is old enough, he goes and joins John in the, in the, uh, in the desert. And by then John has perfected the baptism, the baptism. Well, you put yourself in the Jordan river um, and you shout your sins. And what are your sins? Mm. They're not, I fornicated with my mother. I stole my neighbor's goat. No. Your sin is that you were born at the bottom of society, that you are the poorest of the poor. And so what he notes, what this author notes, um, what's his name? God. Okay. Just, it's escaped me right now. But they, <laughs> the remarkable feature as they express their sins, they, this is the, this is the true version of confession. Mm-hmm. They scream in jubilation mm. they are overjoyed to be able to scream i'm a piece of shit of society i am the poorest of you know mm. of the poor and i'm actually getting rid of these mm. attributes and when they come out of this baptism they are now humans who possess in possession of their dignity and of their true human value so Jesus goes through this ritual too. It obviously transforms him. He's no longer the despised bastard. And he goes around Judea, Galilee, uh, preaching with his cousin. They become very dangerous because lots and lots and lots, all the little people who are anyway in effervescence because everything is falling apart, you know, in those days of the Roman Empire. Um, so they are massively successful. John gets uh, arrested and killed. Jesus carries on on his own and he manages to become very successful on his own. Also, uh, he even manages to find his way into relatively high caste circles mm. where some, uh, f- you know, high born ladies of the high society who are kind of disenchanted with the way things are going, including mm. for them, they start even giving him money to do things. Mm. And so, um, one day he feels, you know, he feels cold, strong enough, or whatever. He has to do his big thing in the temple in Jerusalem. And the big gesture is against the money lenders, the banksters, the presence of the money god in the temple. That is the big gesture, which is he already understood that the money god and the religion god mm. were one and the same, basically. Mm. Mm. And so, okay, for that, for that kind of disturbance to the, you know, the normal order of things, of course, he's going to get arrested and he will be tortured. Mm. But the Romans torture him. He's on the cross as a political mm-hmm. dissident, not as a religious dissident. Mm-hmm. So basically, you know, the, 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 that story to me brings to mind, it, it, it makes Jesus a figure of incredible human depth because of what he'd been through as a kid, uh, because of his transformation into becoming, you know, a full human being. And the, I mean, you know, the, the, the sheer bravery 
of going into the temple at the time of Passover, when the whole place is milling with, you know, a crowd of everybody and all the soldiers and the Roman guards and everything. And, you know, that symbolic gesture against the money god, it's it's very considerable. Mm. And what is also considerable is that this human, utterly human man, was deified. I mean, yeah. you know, it's like it's like the Buddha deified mm. I mean it's less bad for the Buddha because it doesn't involve the Buddha being sacrificed all the time yeah. but then this utterly human man mm. gets insulted by being turned into a fake god mm -hmm. and he has to be perpetually sacrificed because we are all perpetually in debt, in sin and we cannot save ourselves mm. because we are too weak as humans we need somebody else to save us perpetually. So we need Jesus to save us. Next, we need money to save us. Next, we need medicines to save us. Next, we need vaccines to save us. Next, Bill we need... Gates to save us. Etc. Okay? And the next uh, techno intrusion in our body. The continuity is absolutely perfect. But the what this has done... I mean, if we take Jesus to have been a man, what is crucified is the Christ principle, which to me is a universal human principle. Correct. Yeah. It's as simple as that. Yeah. And they are crucifying the universal human principle mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. all the time. Mm -hmm. Is there any connection? That's really deep what you just said. Really deep. Is there, is there any connection between that character, that, that, that persona that you're talking about? Um, and this other gentleman called Isis Manu, who was part of the wealthy elite at the time and led a revolution for the throne of Rome know. in 68 AD. Because what's really know. interesting is he was crucified. He had a purple sash on, uh, which they only do for royals, and, uh, and he had a crown of thorns. Um, and he led a revolution for the throne of Rome, which really pissed off the... Uh, the, the the big money makers in the Hebrew um, you know s culture because uh, right. they were doing big business with the Roman Empire at the time and his revolution totally disrupted that and so um, you know there's the, the the story of this man um, being um, you know blackmailed and backstabbed and maneuvered into a place of where he was captured you know because he was going for the throne it was empty at the time. Um, and yeah, so the correlations are, and Isis Manu, and you got the Manuel, and you got the whole um, Isa. Well, I think there's, a, there's some makes, sort of blend. Sure. No, no. What makes sense is that when they fabricated the story after, yeah, they would have taken you know the elements of both stories. Well, they were de de deifying wealthy, powerful people, like really wealthy elite family members. And they were doing the sainthoods and they were doing the, you know, their, their spiritual deification, basically, of individuals um, regularly, you know, and... Uh, yes, and but I not of rebels, not of rebel figures. That's I think correct. That's the, okay, the revolution that. is to take your opponent and to nullify your opponent by deifying him. Well, this is the I point. Think that I'm, is, this, this is that's this the is, revolutionary step. Yeah, and 
where I'm, I'm working towards something and and what, what i want to say is the whole notion it's like it feels like this character isis manu part of his story has been integrated and I, and i feel there was the the real guy that you're talking about but his name is being quashed and the isis manu character of the wealthy elite has been it's like a blending of characters like a composite because mm-hmm. when you when you take out the deeds of this isis manu guy and i didn't do it somebody else did right and you lay down the the the, the, the writings the scriptures then you take these actual recorded accounts of of this revolution back in that period of time and what this guy did and you put them next to each other they line up Mm -hmm. the deeds line up the actions the 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 fruits of of the labor line up yeah and it's it's fascinating so there's some sort of composite this is why it gets confusing for people people uh, and this is the trick that's been played upon humanity millennia after millennia after millennia they always create a composite and then get people to to to, to fixate on that composite because when you do you're not actually getting anchoring into something that's solid all the way through do you know what i mean yeah yeah you're not getting that grounding and that earthing into something in into the heart of the matter because it's a composite so you go into something which underneath has many components and there's nothing there's no solid foundation in there and that keeps people floating in that sea of uncertainty in the background even though they're devoting so much of themselves to a deity you know (laughs) but what they're devoting themselves is a cult of personality that's been created by this composite that they've created you know absolutely oh i'm sure no and it i mean the fact that it's a composite is also validated by the fact that it's a sun god yeah you know the figure of Jesus in the Bible, in the in the New Testament, in the yeah. Gospels, he's a sun god. So, so you know they've they... taken, and not just you know it's also the 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 ancient um, you know young male gods that had to be sacrificed to the goddess of cereals to ensure mm-hmm. uh, the fertility of the fields. Mm-hmm. So you know, building in the sacrificial aspects. So the composite is very, very complex. Very there, complex. I can, you know, at least those two guys in terms of humans, mm. not to mention, you know, there's the story of the Jesus lineage with the Jesus who escaped with Mary Magdalene to the south of France and all that story. Correct. And the black, you know, and all, and the, 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 you know, the Dan Brown story and all that. I mean, you know, I don't discount any one of them. I think they're all true mm. to some extent. And I think they all feed into the same composite. Mm. So, you, you know, we just have I, to be I very careful. I feel that's careful. the trick. I feel that is the trick, is that they've created composites. And a, and a lot of these deities that people worship are actually composite figures. They're not actually something... There's elements of truth in there, of course, but there's nothing like, bang, real solid. And I feel... um this is my, just my little fantasy, delusion, whatever you want to call it, idea. Um, I feel that in time, the true name of the being who was the one known as the Christ walking the earth, you know, in that sense, for simplistic um, explanation, um, will be 
uttered again and that will provide a trigger for people to begin to really remember um, what actually took place. But I could well imagine that it is more than one person. Yeah. Well, at a particular point in time, because I mean, there again, you know, we we've got this sort of mentality of uh, one heroic figure, the knight yeah. in shining armor, that one solitary f figure who is going to save save everything. You know, it can, it may well have I been. I wasn't coming from in, that space. No, I know you weren't. Yeah. But this is where it would go. Yeah, yeah. People's minds okay. and thought. My, I think, so. I think there are many streams, mm. Mm. and the fact that there were these two people, you know, the 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 Jesus story that I've just given, the Jesus story that you've just given, so we already have two historical humans mm. who fit the bill. Mm. How many more? You know, considering the fact that the whole region was in turmoil, you had the Essenes, you had the Gnostics, you had all sorts of sects that were against the mainstream uh, imposition of Roman colony and 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 the corrupt uh, Hebrew priesthood. Mm. There was a hell of a lot of creativity going on at the time. So there may have been a, any number of people of a truth-seeking mood whose message was being heard and you know the best way to sort of quash all this is to bring all this thing into one big witch's cauldron add a sprinkling of astrotheology bring in the uh you know the beliefs of 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 having to placate the goddess of fertility mm. making everything fake and that is krivda mm. that is the power of krivda Phenomenal. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is a trick that they use. Every, everything's like, yeah, many elements into one. Uh, it's incredible. And but it makes it easier for us in the West when and you. There, it reminds me when you go to India, and you've got all these different gods, all these different mm -hmm. temples, these gods, these goddesses. Well, that's because actually, rather than trying to squash everything into one. Mm artificial lump mm. they're going to devote a lot of attention and thought forms to one some new aspect of what it is to be a human because after all they are obsessed with what it is to be a human oh, totally. um, and they're going to create a new mm. deity or principle or whatever it is that's why they have to proliferate them mm. which is much more honest so once you once you accept that, mm. well, you know it's like there is not one single species of trees. Mm. Nature needs to have as many as she needs to have. Diversity, yeah. Well, it's the same thing. Mm -hmm. So the biodiversity of gods, in the Indian sense, is extremely healthy, actually. Mm -hmm. And. You know, you can even have the different stages of the life of a god. You know, Krishna. Okay, he's a very official god. But there is a place in North West India where the basically the whole city operates around a temple that serves the baby Krishna mm. and only the baby Krishna. Mm -hmm. And so the whole temple is pretty much what a temple would have been in ancient times. It was a hub of economic activity. Lots of stuff happened in the temple. You've got all sorts of little alcoves all around the periphery of the main temple, but looking into the inner sanctum, they're not outside, where the, you know, they're sewing clothes 
for baby Krishna. They're preparing garlands of flowers for him. They're changing, you know, the cloth that he's... I don't know whether he has nappies. I didn't check. What were the but, basic uh, principles of Krishna? Like what were the, yeah, the parameters of functionality? He's the most lovable male human possibly imagined. So would you and say this he carries... would be the equivalent of the, the Jesus persona? No. Okay. Oh, no. Okay. Not at all. I mean, he's a hedonist also. I mean, he when he grows up, He's a very naughty boy. He keeps bothering everybody, mm -hmm. but he's so absolutely adorable that nobody ever punishes him. <laughs> when he grows up and he becomes sexually mature, mm -hmm. he has this trick of making all the maidens fall in love with him mm -hmm. and think while he's fornicating with all of them, they all think they're fornicating, that, that, that he's making love to only them, only, only this particular one. Each one thinks that she is having Krishna as her soul, as her mm. exclusive lover, when in fact, he's mm. having love with a hundred others at the same time. Mm. So this is, it's a very deep consideration of the masculine principle again. Mm. Now, okay, you've got the other Krishna who's in the, you know, big battles with uh, Arjuna and all that. That's another but <laughs> he's not doing the suffering. It's Arjuna who's doing the suffering. Mm. So Krishna, yeah, I know that, that there might be attempting sort of um, phonological association between Christos and Krishna. Krishna is a K, not a KH mm. or a CH. I don't think they're necessarily associated. Yeah, I was just wondering if there is any any correlations in their behavior, in their parameters of functionality, and the things that they actually, um, you know, um, embody. What do they represent? What are they ambassadors for and, and emissaries for? Well, Krishna is a f basically a a very wise and very fun god. He's much more of an Apollonian he, kind of... Yeah, I was going to say, is he more that Apollonian Dionysus style? Mm. And at the same time, you know, pretty civilized because, mm. Mm. you know, he's he grows up in a very princely atmosphere where he's having his clothes changed every two right. hours, wow. you know, with different songs. I mean... It, it, that 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 temple to baby Krishna, young Krishna, up to the age of two, I think, or three, is, I mean, a temple. It's it that 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 kind of thing shatters our Western ideas mm. of what a temple, a sanctuary is. Mm -hmm. It's just totally so was crazy. He, when he was born, he was identified as a god. Oh, I don't remember all the details. Yeah, that's all right. It's just I have curiosities and. I'm asking uh, questions so I can put my pieces of the puzzle together, you know. So I know I'm throwing a few curly ones at you. <laughs> no, plus what? I mean, there again, the whole thing about the Indian domain is that nothing is only one thing. Hmm. There are nuances on everything. Hmm. So, Whereas you um, look at the Christian one, it was said, you know, it's and a pretty wise man and he was going to be born at this time and they followed the signs and the prophecy and he was born and... Yeah. 
No, I mean, his birth, the birth of Krishna was a moment of great joy for his mother, but at the same time, he really was a very naughty little boy. Yeah. So, uh, no, was I mean, he very, at any very... stage in his life considered a messiah? They don't have that concept in India. No. That's that's a monotheistic concept. Because mm-hmm. mm. the messiah is basically the savior. Mm-hmm. Which is really great only... for everyone who loves to play the victim. I mean, that's just perfect, isn't it? The only savior figure in India is when all the devils, all the demons come out and they destroy everything. Mm. And the gods... It's happening now. The gods you know, try all their weapons and all their tricks and it doesn't work. Mm-mm. And then in desperation, whom do they call? Shiva? Whom do they call? No. They Vision. call Durga. 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 The, f- the another emanation of the feminine principle. Oh. She is the only one who can defeat the demons. Is she big sister to Kali or something? Kali is one of her emanations, and then Kali has her own emanations. So, I mean, you know, we can go into so many rabbit holes. Uh, it's just crazy. But Durga is precisely the name of that emanation that is brought down to defeat all the all the demons. And uh, only she can do it. Well, that fits with me. Because I'm, well, I'm, I'm very pleased about that. <laughs> Well, you know, big time. Well, I always talk to say how this is a woman's world and in the end, you know, it's only uh, a woman energy that can actually bring things back into balance here. The, well, as a male energy, we can only do so much, but this is a woman's world. It's not a man's world. The overt, outward, patriarchal system is a man's world, but um, when you look at the construct of reality itself, of creation itself here in this space-time location called planet Earth, this is a woman's world. And, you know, the part about the Christ that always gets left out is a Christ in the feminine. So, yeah, um, in earlier sharings, I wasn't sharing from point of view of this one figure that saves everybody. It's a deep composite. And, you know, and the feminine component of the whole Christos energy gets left out because it is both masculine and feminine. It's a universal principle. Um, so, the, the, you know, and that's why I'm always fascinated in beings like, you know, Krishna and... Um, and and the one that Durga that you talk about, what role does it play, and 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 how does it all fit? And uh, oh, look, my mind's going in so many places right now. Talk about composite figures. The whole um, story of the Christ thing of a God um, sacrificing himself to the the population of Earth. That goes right back to um, the one who was blamed for monotheistic religion, which is a total lie, was Akhenaten. And Nefertiti, and they weren't here just 3,000 years ago. They might have come for a short visit, but they were here 25, 26,000 years ago when they set this era, this this this, this cycle up. Um, and uh, so there's a big story. I mean, we, we're going deep into into uh, all of that. And who are they? Where did they come from? Why were they so tall and look differently and big craniums and, and nearly 20 foot tall? I mean, you know, these were vastly different beings. They're not from here. They're from the Cirrus star system. And Akhenaten and Nefertiti were the royal family. And she went back with the family to, to Cirrus and he stayed. And he ended up um, entering the reincarnational cycle. He gave himself over to the inhabitants of the earth. So a god was killed by the people of the earth. And he went into the reincarnational cycle. And that's the 
that's one of the points of origin of the story of the again the composite you know of all mm. these other things that have played out way back then um and and are being brought forth and you see the the story of the horus energy and you know coming in with isis holding horus being mother mary holding jesus and and on and on it goes and the connection to the sun and the solar energy uh the solar spirit um and and in in conjunction with the equinoxes and the solstices and you know obviously christmas runs off the solstice you got the fertility god esther and we you know that comes the whole thing of easter coming off the actual march equinox you know and and the celebration in the northern hemisphere of 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 bountiful crops and you know in springtime and and marking the beginning of spring um so we 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 have you know the the irony of you know people like you know catholic religions for example and other orthodox religions etc etc um that they really poo-poo paganism more so catholic like i'm my i was brought up a greek orthodox i'm not that but that's part of my makeup you know and um and and we do celebrate you know coloring the eggs and and doing all mm-hmm. this and and having that 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 flame that comes out of the 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 you know the, the church sepulchre and, and comes out and gets handed around to everyone so you know I, I used to grow up celebrating all of this stuff and uh and what's really interesting is how you can see that easter comes off the first sunday after the first full moon after the equinox now I, if that ain't pagan i don't know what the fuck is to of be course honest it with is. you you know sure totally 100 percent um, yet the the Catholics will be like, pagans, pagans, pagans. You know, it's and it's part of the natural cycles. Solstices and equinoxes, shortest days and total days in total balance, equal amount of light, equal amount of darkness. It's as basic and as natural as it gets. There's nothing dark about that. There's nothing evil about that. What's really interesting is how many religions, mm-hmm. and especially the the Western religions, so to speak. Uh, and Middle Eastern religions base so much off the natural, yet they poo-poo it so much. You know, it's just the the contradiction uh, in there is so great um, that they really do themselves a disservice. Well, they do. No, they they poo-poo it because because it is important to them. Hmm. They know what's important. They hmm. uphold it in their secret rituals. Hmm. They follow all their things in all, all these all these you know natural cycles in all and and the sacrifices that they do mm-hmm. that they organize during those rituals but they twist the orientation the intention towards their mm-hmm. sick deities they take the energy out of where it really is but they they know that they can only take the energy from where it is in nature in this planet can manipulate and in, what already exists yeah they're not create natural that's creator, exactly right? it so you know yeah. they're not yeah. uh, they 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 have to poo poo it so that we will poo poo yeah it and they can harvest it from us mm. they you know they are perfectly they're perfectly consistent with themselves mm. and perfectly consistent with the methods of you know what is all encompassed in that word krivda mm-hmm it's all deceit, you know, distortion, simulation, this, that, and the other, because they're incapable of creating. Mm. 
And what it's, I find it's remarkable. It's very similar to the word crypto, you know, which means, you know, it's hidden and it's cryptic, meaning, you know, it's twisted. The, the word crypto and the original meaning of the word crypto is um, very close, very, very close. Well, yeah, crypt, it's basically what is hidden and the crypt of a church yeah. is the basement where, you know, stuff happens. Yeah. So, but um, what was I going to say? I just lost it. Okay. Um, <laughs> well, there again, I mean, too many rabbit holes at the same time. I know, it's uh, such a big subject and such a big topic and it's been so juicy. Um, with your... Um, your book what what's your intentions with the book what did you want to like why why do you feel you wrote it you know what's its original intention because i had to i knew that i had in view of the diversity of life that i've had i don't have a you know a home place i'm you know my home now is where the in the country where i live hmm. So I've, you know, the different languages, the different cultures where I've lived have all given me very different perspectives and the absolutely life altering experience of becoming one of those people in Bengal, the Fakir, mm. um, of experiencing their loss, as they said to me, we are completely lost now because it is now the money God that is in charge. Mm. And they didn't know how to cope with that. Mm. They didn't know how to cope with that. And that, you know, from then on, everything went downhill for them. Mm. So, but what I had learned with them, suddenly, you know, I knew that I was going to have, I would continue being that person in a completely different country. I wouldn't be able to do it culturally, you know, according to their norms. But the essence of it was inside me. And they had told me, mm. we understand this to be a universal human path. And one day, one of them said to me, you are going to make it available to the world. And I thought, oh, shit, you know. <laughs> so this only came back to me when I started writing. But I just knew I had to write it because it was clear in my mind, just the, that, that, that sort of skeleton of, you know, the succession of these gods affecting first the Judeo-Christian world and then the whole planet and putting us in the mess where we are now. But as I wrote, you know, literally the piece of research I needed fell, you know, into my lap, either on my internet screen or a book or whatever. It was very hard work, but I was, there was something prodding and pushing and holding and supporting me throughout. You know, this is, I was the conduit for this book. Hmm. And, you know, I just had the different, I had a number of different approaches. You know, there are other people who are very scholarly and they don't have, they're a bit, they're not, they won't go as much into the woo as is necessary. That's right. Or they will go too far into the woo. Mm -hmm. You know, I've been, I've been a kind of relatively balanced approach. Mm -hmm. But for me, the esoteric is not an intellectual esoteric it's the natural esoteric that i learned with the fakir and that i'm learning every day with nature 
So I'm approaching fakir, to me, esoteric. The esoteric underpinnings of everything that happens is absolutely real, but I have the discernment of the unnatural esoteric of the gods and priests mm -hmm. and the natural esoteric of humans. Mm -hmm. And to me, this is the most crucial It's crucial now. The timing of you bringing this work out is really important because we're not that far away from, you know, uh, something like the ET card being played on, on an international scale and the rewriting of human history because they will present their version um, of because they will come across, they'll be presented as our makers, you know, and then so they will have a, a an explanation which will explain away all the gods and will be like an official version of the history of humanity. Um, and now I'm very sceptical about that. <laughs> because, you know, you look at what's been done locally on uh, with all our religious texts. Imagine one of those jobs being done on the all of humanity all at once, you know, and, and, and blending into the cosmic uh, domain. So um, I feel that that's coming. And uh, the and hubris, feel... the hubris is just absolutely... <laughs> Well, that's their downfall too. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It really is. Yeah. So your work at the moment is just—it's crucial, crucial for humanity. And uh, I must say, um, I'm really, really grateful that you're here on this planet doing what you're doing. Really, really grateful. Wow, that's a big thank you. Thank you very much, George. You gave me the spark. Mm -hmm. I, uh, you know, if you hadn't shown the filiation between the gods of religion and the gods of technology, mm. I might have, I might never have written this book. Mm. You know, it's just, you know, but that, oh, it suddenly became so clear. Mm. And then I realized that, okay, you know, I, it seems that because of the weird life I've had, I have, I have the bits and pieces to put together something of a plausible puzzle i'm not saying that i'm speaking you know the absolute truth especially considering how much our history has been distorted but even taking what is our official history even taking that it is possible to have a coherent picture hmm. because we need to understand how we are being oppressed we do. that's part of reclaiming who we are it's not enough to say you know i'm a free sovereign human being mm -hmm. We need to understand and to come to terms and to grieve, really be able to digest and then alchemize with the natural esoteric talent that we naturally have, all the harm that has been done to us. And to be able to, you know, as you would say, um, alchemize it and into a new power for good, for life, for beauty, harmony, and be able to say thank you to our oppressors for having been our, I think you say, our trainers. <laughs> mm. um, can I ask you a question? Because um, I can feel the Angie's winding up. Um, the word God, the etymology of the word God, um, that's a, yeah, I know it's a big That's question. a really tough one because you've got the Theos, Deus, Deus, Div, Dev in India, 
the, that the that the sort gods. of that, yeah. that's that's connected with uh, with light. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, and that puts us straight into your false light paradigm, mm -hmm. imitation light, false sun gods. Mm -hmm. Okay, now you've got there's a really weird one which is the Russian one which is Bog, mm. and there's the other weird one which is God. God. Wow, what a time for it to freeze. Very few there? have looked. It just locked Hello? up. Yeah, and you said, and there's this other one called God, and then it all just locked up. So can you can you bring us back to that? There was Bog from Russia. Right. Can you hear me now? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and then so God uh, from Gott in, in German. Is that a combination got... with Yod from kind of a, a variation or deviation away from the Yahweh, like a combination of of no, Yahweh that's, it's and... Too, that's too remote. That's too, too remote. Too far removed, is there it? Was, in the time of Yahweh, there was another local Elohim God who was called Gad, G-A-D. But he was oh. very marginal. I don't see... <laughs> the You know, serious etymologists, professionals, who've looked into the etymology mm. of the word God mm. are baffled by it. Mm. And they are baffled by their own bafflement. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, you know, what the... <laughs> there is a possibility that it could be the God Odin, who was also Woden and Godin in different parts of the German Germanic mm -hmm. uh, area, may have been you know, the name from which that they adapted mm. because they would, in the different pagan lands, they may need, depending on the local power mm. of the local religion and culture, mm. you couldn't just come in with your Theos or your Deus, mm. you had to adapt to a local God's name. Mm. And so that may be a possibility. Um, mm. There are other interpretations and it's just, no, it just remains rather mystifying. Mm. Mm. It's... Uh, so that's you know that's another aspect of why why for these you know major segments of the christian empire the russian mm. and the uh, germanic or and, and derived from germanic why should we use why should we have those words that are completely outlying from you know from from everything else mm. Uh, why could they not find a word that would have signified light? Mm. So, mm. perhaps, I mean, you know, I didn't devote three years to just this aspect <laughs> since I wrote the book in under one year. So, you know, you know, none, none of the research that I bring together is research that I have conducted very deeply. Mm. Okay? It is, as an anthropologist, that I've put together pieces of the puzzle because I'm not looking at it from the perspective of the historian. I'm looking at it from the perspective of how would I feel being a Mesopotamian mother having to give my child over into the furnace Practical of implementation. Okay, go into feeling what it is to be an ordinary person across mm. all this. Mm -hmm. Because I'm very good at that as an anthropologist living with, you know, little people. 
so-called little people who've mm. been my teachers for the past 25 years. Mm. So looking, looking at it from the perspective of the real people, that's one thing. Looking at a perspective from beyond the gods, mm -hmm. which is a place where you sometimes take us, mm -hmm. or looking at it from the, you know, sometimes, well, I'll take the approach that, okay, yeah, Shakti and Shiva, hmm, how would they look upon all this? Mm. And the other perspective is to get to the point where I can look at it from the perspective of the gods and their priests themselves. Yeah. Okay, which is also the perspective that you have. And mm. I think we have this because of, you know, the families in which we were brought up. Mm. Mm, true. Yeah. Yeah, the, the, the whole story of the relationship between humans and gods, uh, of gods and men, you know. And, and woman um, I'm um, absolutely fascinated by it I, I, I'm not a scholar I don't read I'm not a researcher I'm definitely an investigator but the way I investigate is through direct personal experience and, and you know um, and, and through energy so that's um, an interdimensional conscious awareness rather than just saying through energy that's too broad so interdimensional conscious you know dialogue and awareness and, and investigation that's 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 me that's my approach so i'm not a learned scholar in that way absolutely not yeah but that's that's what makes you unique i mean you know the contribution that you make is really fabulous really oh, needed thank you thank you i really appreciate that Anna. because it's not just i mean you know you've got a lot of people who've been experiencers and they cannot take it mm. to the level to which you've taken it it's because you've had that exposure to the god realm so intensely in childhood mm. and from your lineage Mm. that you've been able to, you know, go through certain veils mm. and that you've been interested in understanding the different aspects of interdimensionality. Mm. You know, your your interpretation of it may not be the final one. Exactly. But it but it is mm. it is an excellent working model. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I hardly agree. Um we um so we, we're, we're in that time in our evolution right now when we're deep in our relationship with the technological intelligence god, you know, really, really pushing, really imposing itself onto earth and humanity right now, onto the human race. And we're seeing that all around us. The evidence is everywhere. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it doesn't take much of a neuron to work that one out. And I mean no disrespect to people who don't see it. Um, the the next phase we're moving into towards the end of the decade, we're going to start to see um, humanity after working through, you know, and we're going to be deep in our relationship with technology as we work through that, is our relationship with the gods. And that's coming up um, that, you know, in the years to come that we have to work through at uh, the end of this decade and into the next. That's going to be huge because we're literally going to be seeing stuff in our reality, like amazing things. I mean, the next two to three years are gonna be epic in nature <clears throat> as we as we move from this dystopian New World Order to the utopian New World Order that's coming in behind it. Between 23 and 25, we're gonna see that that that, that shift. Um, and, and then, yeah, in, in to, towards the end of the decade, into the early part of the next decade, 32, 33, somewhere there, we're going to really start to see the whole ramping up of humanity having to deal with its relationship with the gods. And 
that's going to be a very very interesting time to be on. Do you see planet. them as separate? The relationship um, no, with technology and the relationship with the gods. Do you see you see them as separate? Um, I see them as separate, and I see them completely intertwined because one is relying on the other. Yeah. Um, and the um, you know the the technological intelligence god that is imposing itself in our world right now. You know, I've often talked about it being the scalpel that is severing the human race. I mean, you look at how much time people spend in front of their devices and, uh, and, and you know, screen time, screen time. And if I want to relax and watch a movie, screen time. Um, so we do spend a lot of our time with our awareness inside that technological space. You know, um, if, if we look at where our awareness is residing, give, you know, in, in throughout a day, um, any particular day. So we're, we're, we're seeing that scalpel effect happening <clears throat> and especially in, in, in children and teenagers and all that and all the games that are being played and the metaverse that's being created. It's pretty obvious they're corralling human consciousness away from the natural expression of life uh, to a technological-based uh, holographic realm of reality. So... Um, and but coming in behind that is the gods and the one that wants to be the god of gods who is uh, really its main focus is to harvest as many humans from the earth as possible into its heavenly realms um, to prevent humans actually metamorph metamorphosizing with mother earth uh, in that symbiotic beautiful symbiosis that we're in with her um, and that is the the, the game the cosmic game that's being played here. Yes, but the counterpunch to that is already happening. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. At, it is. You know, of of the earth and humans. Mm-hmm. It's it this whole thing is is ongoing. All along the way through each of those stages, you know, exactly. the ruling elite we got now into the technological intelligence which is happening now. Uh, into the gods that is to come every step of the way we're always reevaluating our relationship with mother earth and nature and with ourselves i mean the number of people who are who are wondering who are really wondering what the hell does it mean to be a human being Mm. i don't want to become human 2.0 what does it mean what does it mean Mm. so the two processes are you know ongoing in parallel um and I think, you know, the friction of one process against the others. <laughs> yes, I agree with you that we're going to be, go- we're in for lots of fireworks. Mm. It's Yeah, just, very interesting know. times ahead, eh? Oh, incredible. Hold on to our socks. Hold on to your hats. Yeah, the next three years. Oh, the end of the middle to end of this year. Wow. That's when the roller coaster ride begins and things get, yeah, you think it's already started? No, you ain't seen nothing yet. Yeah, there's so much more to come. So that's why it's good to have a stash of popcorn in the cupboard. And uh, when the show begins, you know, you can sit there and and eat your popcorn and watch the show because it's going to be wild. And then you can decide how much you want to engage in it. That's an individual thing. Well, and what um, can you share with us in the way of um, how can people access your work and, you know, get a copy of your book and et cetera? Well, the book is most easily available both in ebook and printed form at an outfit called Book Baby. Um, they support indie authors 
and they give decent royalties to authors as opposed to all the other oh. companies to which they distribute. They mm -hmm. do print on demand and they distribute to all the biggies. But on Amazon, uh, one week it'll say uh, pre-order only and the next week it'll say out of stock and then you'll go back to pre-order. And then, so, you know, I don't understand what's going on with Amazon. Um, so the easiest way, on the other hand, for Australia, it's expensive in terms of shipping. So you may want to wait for the Amazon or whatever to, to come on board. Hmm. And then because of the numbers of uh, pr private sort of uh, contacts I was getting through my little tiny website, I've decided to open a Substack page because I, I can't, you know, th there comes a limit to how much you can, mm. you can take care of every individual request mm. or question or whatever. Mm. So there's a Substack page, which is enna.substack.com. Okay. And Anna, the spelling's there. I'll, I'll put the URL anyway. On, but I'll on. send you, I'll send you the, uh, the links for the book baby thing. <clears throat> yeah, please do. Uh, for at least for those who are not in mm. you know Australia New Zealand because mm. I mean the shipping costs are really crazy yeah I know. Uh, pretty pretty full on I mean yeah when we were shipping internationally from Australia it's like fifty dollars for the shipping costs alone it was ridiculous at one stage but um, that's a lot yeah well that's that's pretty much the structure everything yeah yeah and yeah people were getting upset thinking we we're ripping them off and all this sort of stuff and I'm like no it's just the cost um, it's the shipping sure yeah. Yeah, yeah, international shipping from Australia out, it's expensive. But, um, um, well, that's really good. I'm going to look into Book Baby myself. Thank you for that little tip. Um, and uh, there's going to be some parting wisdom here, I can feel it. You, you definitely, on our way out, what, what beautiful little gold nugget of a message do you have for our beloved <laughs> humanity? No pressure. It's, the, it's simply, no we are naturally esoteric we have a natural esoteric talent and i wish people would be able to know that and understand it and take nothing for granted you know be careful of language be so 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 careful of language you know i'm not i'm not going to say anything you know big and uh I've already said lots and lots of things, but trust that there is, you know, we use the word magic. I prefer the word esoteric. It's more, it's closer to the reality of it. Mm -hmm. We have an esoteric inner, deep, visceral and heart bound relationship with this earth. And she is such a phenomenal being. She is so much more than just what we call nature. She is, you know, I mean, I don't have the wisdom to express in words who she is. Mm. So that is why I say that if we want to be fully human, we must understand that our humanity has everything to do with our relationship, our partnership with this planet, mm. um, this extremely feminine planet and we on this planet represent the masculine principle be it in a female or in a male body mm. and you can explore that there's a hell of a lot to explore and just in that um 
and the more you explore it the more she reveals she's not she's not stingy she you know she gives her information very very generously but you have to be able to receive it in the form in which she provides it mm. which used to be we used to understand it naturally we have to be able to recover that it's our everyday dialogue wasn't it it's like you know even it was even smoother and easier more substantial than communicating in english as we do oh you know, yes like... because it was nonverbal yeah it was nonverbal it's the ability to think from the heart mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. to think we still need to transit through words but then there's something that melts the mm-hmm. words themselves melt mm-hmm. and that's my feeling there's just the vibrational intention of what i'm saying that remains and that that gets an answer there's yeah. there's a re- re- literally a translation process now that was one huge gold nugget at the end there that was <laughs> absolutely delicious oh and i uh, thank you so very very much really um what 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 a joy it has been to adventure deep into life with you and um you know, I'm, I'm really, really going to put it out there that we get the opportunity to do this again. I would very much like that. I'd love it, actually. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> okay. It will be my pleasure because... If you're up for it. Yeah, you, yeah. And if the timing works out, I would you, dearly love to be, to do No, that. You, take the, be... you take the discussion to, you know, to very different places. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> it's... Uh, it's... You know what? It reminds me of learning to become drunk in my teenage years in Russia. Oh, right. what a great, oh this is an interesting analogy. I have known this approach. Because <laughs> life became, there was a sudden intensity mm. in the philosophizing and the soul searching mm. uh, that I had with Russian people. And especially, mm. you know, before everybody got drunk, really drunk. Mm. And as a, you know, clean Western kid, mm. I got my initiation into that. And the worlds, the universes that opened up in front of me were phenomenal. Mm. And so there is an echo of that, you know, when we have these conversations about trying to connect false history with real history, Mm. with interdimensional things, Mm. um, you know, and you are very much the specialist that I'm not in these matters. But it's, it's, and it's also... I don't know about that. Well, no, I oh, think there's yeah. also, George, there's also a very interesting your masculine to my feminine mm. playing here. Mm. Um, both, because we've both worked very much on, mm. you know, I've been very much masculine and you are integrating much more of your feminine. I am, yeah, so we can, life, we yeah. can speak, we can speak in those two archetypes. Well, it's even beyond archetypes. Mm with serenity and without any you know with without any of the acrimonious sort of backbiting that 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 people have between the so-called genders (laughs) and because it's you know if we can understand that we as humans are the masculine principle incarnated on this feminine planet Hmm. it it opens up a whole new perspective to what it means to be a woman and a man 
And I don't want to take it any further now. We can take that as the starting point for next oh, time. Oh, that's perhaps. a lovely little dangling little <laughs> prawn there, and 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 uh, <laughs> um, think of it more as a uh, little little opening, a little portal that's that's ready to open for our next dialogue and adventure that we have. And um, that's what I was feeling too. The that that dance between the masculine and the feminine, I think, needs to really be explored deeply and go further into that because it's such an important part of the dynamics that are playing out inside each and every one of us right now mm -hmm. right now oh my goodness what we're all going through and and when you actually begin to pause and and observe and identify yeah and especially identify that dance between the masculine and the feminine Ooh, wow that just that's just like whole new dynamic going on um and i'm finding in my relationships now that i'm able to navigate my way so much better in relationships because of that i just wanted to wanted to share that with you because it's uh it's an i've critical, noticed critical part i've noticed the change you know in you in that respect mm, thank you thank you well, and thanks again for um, uh, such a fabulous dialogue. Um, well, thank what you. A, what, what you a make it possible. Experience. Thank you so much. You make it possible. You ask the weird questions. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. All right. Have yourself a, a wonderful rest of the day, week, month, year and eternity have the most beautiful eternity ever not that i'm not going to see you again but people say have a nice day like i go have a nice life have a nice everything forever right. <laughs> <You know? laughs> why just one day <laughs> so have a good everything yeah. forever all the beautiful all the beautiful and wonderful things in life quite absolutely yeah thank you so so much it's been uh, it's been it's been great fun, actually. Yeah. yeah, it has. And uh, lots of energy mm. Mm. and lots of more food for thought. And, uh, oh, and more responsibility. Yeah, I'm going to take it back down to earth. <laughs> you know, the more we, the more we venture in these things, <laughs> it's bloody responsibility. You know, that's the yeah, grandmother yeah. speaking. Right? It just gets more real. You just see it. This shit's getting real. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Thank okay. you so much, and um, talk thank to you again you. soon, eh? Well, thank I you think for coming on the Super Woo Radio. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much, and see you, see you soon, indeed, in one of your webinars. Thank you very much, and thank you for what you do in the world, George. Thank you, Anna. <laughs>